there's things about it that make sense, you know, um, and there's concerns about it, I'd say. It's one of those ones where it's, I sound like I'm sitting on the fence. No, it's not. A bit it's, like when we're talking about Ericsson and Vonage. You can see some yeah, of the rationale, but you're not totally it's, sold. It's maybe a harder one for me to be a judge on as well, because a lot of it's Less in areas expert. that I don't yeah. really know that much about. I mean, I think from the telecom side of things, which is the bit I do know more about, yeah, it certainly makes HPE a bigger force in telecom. Mm. Hello and welcome back to the telecoms.com podcast after a, a, about a month off, isn't it? You've had uh, a long break, haven't you? I had a long break. I'd, I'd, just I'd work generally. Three weeks off. Yeah. Well, that's because Andrew does such a great job. In fact, I never do any work. I just get Andrew. <laughs> you take longer off. Yeah. Well, I don't take it off officially, but I just do fuck all. <laughs> um, but um, except the podcast. Yeah. So um, that's not bad. It's not a bad hourly rate I'm getting. Uh, but no. Uh, Did you do anything nice on your three weeks off? Or? No, we didn't go away or anything yeah. like that. Just just recharged batteries, chilled, uh, did Christmassy stuff. Um, you did a, the the what's it called the turkey crown? Yeah, turkey crown and all that. Um, Was, did you smell like blue cheese this year? No, it wasn't one of those. <laughs> Although I did go mad with the uh, with the sort of cured pork sides, three different types of stuffing. Oof, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, there was there was the stuffing that I put in the turkey, then there's a separate thing of stuffing, and then some stuffing balls, and then two different types of pigs in blankets. Because I'd got the pigs in blankets, which for people who aren't from the UK, is basically small sausages wrapped in a bit of bacon, which you then roast, mm. and it's very very tasty. Mm. And then I went to Sainsbury's, and they had fucking like jumbo size ones. <laughs> so I was like, right, I'm having them as well. <laughs> And everything else, bread sauce, loads of roast tatties, Brussels sprouts, you name it. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a good spread. I'm pleased to see um, Ian didn't roast his phone. He didn't roast didn't his phone. phone? I didn't I didn't do the cooking this year. So <laughs> Is that why? Yeah. Uh, I, I, like... No, I mean, we were, at my, we were actually at my parents'. Oh, uh, uh, okay. My mum's like, um, just insists on doing it all. She doesn't really like being helped with it. So. No, well, I'm, I'm, really, um, I'm really sort of tyrannical in the kitchen. Yeah, I know what it's like because when I have done it, you you have your idea of how it should all s slot together, kind of thing. Yeah, you have things under control. And well, you want everything to help, but you can't figure. It takes figure longer out. to explain. It takes longer to explain, and you want everything yeah. to culminate at, at the same time. So yeah. it's a real like uh, juggling act. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've always done it, um, and I've pretty much uh, got the hang of it. Yeah. Um, the the biggest one is potatoes always take longer than you think. Yeah. yeah. You need to roast them for like two hours if you want them properly crispy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that was all good, and then um, and so yeah, we're, I'm on dry January, everyone. This this is very weird. In fact, we've got to give. There's a few bribe of the weeks. First bribe of the week is from Pierre. Mm -hmm. So Pierre, bless him, brought us a couple of parallels. They're from France, yeah. They're from a, a very small town next, right next to my hometown. Yeah, it's it's called Opel. Um, Chromatic is the well. We can have them next time round. Yeah, we'll have them next time round. But if, thank you very much for that, Pierre. Four percent, four point five. Not nothing, um, nothing crazy. Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing out of order. Mm -hmm. And it's got very uh, few ingredients. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know what houblon or it's like, what, bar it's like barley. That's barley houblon. Um, levure, yeast, yeast, and then sucre, sugar. Mm -hmm. I know that one. Um, it's good. It's actually really not sweet at all. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, and it is four and a half percent. God, they got they got they got all sorts of little metrics on it as well. 
Yeah, these guys are serious. They call they call alcohol force. <laughs> I mean, I presume that means strength, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like force. Yeah. The force of this fucking beer. <laughs> um and then, but then they got a little gauge for color and and for hops and all that stuff. The force isn't with you today, Scott. Refreshisante, refreshisante. Yeah, Refreshment. refreshing. Yeah, right. That's just an arbitrary thing they've decided to throw in. I think you're, from, you're tormenting marketing. me by looking at. I know. So you were Ian. Ian but... was thinking. So you haven't drunk since Boxing Day, yeah? Yeah. I'm not really on dry January. I'm just no, sort of you're, trying wait. to cut down. Yeah, you're just trying to. Well, I did. I did have a couple on New Year's Eve. Oh, so yeah. I, I sort of interrupted. Oh right. That's why I was thinking of doing it today because I don't. You're just you're just generally being moderate. Yeah, I just sort of. Well, dry January. No, I'm not doing dry January. No, well, I'm not. I I don't think. I'm already saying now I'd be very surprised if the pod we're doing in a week's time I don't have a beer. But that will take <laughs> yeah. me to the 19th. Might, might, yeah. And that's all right. I mean, just three weeks of just well, resetting. It's, it's the habit for me. It's just not like during December, I'll generally have a drink pretty much every day. Yeah, it's more than like it's a diet. And it's just resetting that habit. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll definitely be drinking. You might have lost a bit of weight. Actually. I have lost a bit of weight, oh, yeah. but I'd need to get some more off. But Nice one. You've been but I want to... Yeah, I just felt really crap on Boxing Day, like just culmination of several weeks of yeah. drinking. And I just Smashing thought, I'm it. not going to have anything now until... And then cut down on eating a lot as well. So You should do what I do. running a bit more, but... I only oh, drink yeah. It's not rocket science, is it? Eat less, run more. Yeah, but I'm yeah. definitely drink drinking less. the following week anyway, because we've got that CC group. We've got CC group. Do, and, and now... Um, other things as well, I'm sure. Babel's, Babel's found um, a bar called Babel. That's right. In King's Cross. That's, isn't that February the 8th? Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's good for them. So we got at least two warm-ups yeah. for my World there's Congress. I'm sure there's something else going on that week as well. Oh, yeah, Charlie Ashton's over for the podcast. Yeah. He specifically said he was bringing beers. Yeah, so yeah. We can't really sit there and not drink No, if I was going to be really disciplined, so. I would wait until the CC, which is the day before. So Charlie Ashton's 26, CC's yeah. 25. And then my wife's birthday's on the 27th. Yeah, so if I was going to be really good, then. but I think... I think th- like 19 days will do me. Yeah, you'll be all right. So there we are. But I'm being good now. I mean, you. to be fair to me, both Pierre and Ian were going, go and have a beer. And I was like, no, I'm going to be good. So I just want credit for this, well, it, so for this Herculean self-restraint. Either, if, you, if you were having one, I'd definitely have one. Yeah, yeah. There we are. Um, so but you then, open that now while I'm opening one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I brought this as a as a as as another Bribe of the Week prompt. So this is, this is Duke's Hill handcrafted cider from whiskey casks and it's 6.7%. This is one of a few things that are in a very nice hamper that ZTE sent me. So that's, you've definitely ZTE. got- ZTE? Yeah, you've definitely got Bribe of the Week there, ZTE. It had all like charcuterie and cheese and- uh, I didn't get anything from ZTE. Shit like that. Well, you yeah. better, didn't you get anything at all? No. Huh. I went out with Huawei and got some stuff from there. Oh. I didn't get I th- uh, Right. I didn't get anything Oh yeah, I got, the, I got the chockies off them. You didn't get yeah. anything off ZTE. Well, no. so- if that's, that's you disgraceful, see, you can see whether it's actual bribes I mean, or not. Whether whether Ian now writes shitty things about ZTE and I write nothing but accommodating. I'm, I'm gonna have to think carefully about my coverage of ZTE <laughs> from now on. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll let you have some of this if you want. You can yeah. have some my, my cast offs from my hamper. I bet that's um, that's kind of. Well, that's gonna. That's not gonna take any prisoners. There, there were three of them in it, and my my son's already coveting one of them. Is he good? Um, he's on dry January as well. Sad. He's not even twenty, and he's having to. Do dry January. Oh, that's just Tell wrong. my son. Um, well, you know, he's 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 a chip off the old block. He's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't often get off he, he off his face, in, but he he'll he'll have a drink in the evening. He does work in a pub, doesn't he? So not anymore. Not anymore. He's not anymore. Okay. But you know, I mean, remember what it's like being nineteen twenty. I don't think any of us were that shy on the booze then. No. Um, certainly, I was at, I was at Bristol University getting a massive head start on my beer gut. Um, 
And then the last bro of the week, I, I don't know if this comes over in the camera, is this T-shirt uh, given to me by lovely Amy Elston, who's a friend but also does the PR for Red Hat in the UK. And this is her band that she's in with uh, Sean Jackson, who years ago uh, wrote for t telecoms.com. And I just saw the other day is is still doing this sort of thing because I, I, I subscribed to some stuff from Moa World Live and I got an invitation to a webinar that he was hosting by oh. from Moa World Live that was Sean Jackson. Oh. But anyway, he's Sean Jackson's the uh, lead guitarist right. and Amy's the drummer in Rebel Death. Rebel Death. What kind of genre is that? I metal. Thrash, oh, yeah, sorry. Thrash metal. <laughs> It's uh, it's uh, yeah, reggae. It's, it's lounge room jazz. <laughs> yeah. Um. So those are all the bribe of the weeks done. Um. I haven't asked you guys about your Christmas. Pierre, did you get out too much? Did you go back to Boulogne? Uh, yeah, I was here for Christmas for the first time in a long time actually, uh -huh. and then we went on the twenty seventh to my hometown. Right. Cool. More more drinking and eating. Yeah. Yeah. The weather was. It's a. It's. It's. It's a. Is Christmas in France pretty similar to Christmas in the UK? Just lots of nice food and hanging out and yeah. drinking. Dealing with your family, yeah. Dealing with your family, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. What about you? Yeah. You uh, go away? Just to my parents. You were telling me that in Magda's village in Slovakia, it's minus 27 it degrees. It has been this week. I don't oh. think it was at Christmas, but... Damn. Yeah, we don't normally go over there at Christmas. That's the central Christmas. Europe shit, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we, we were in the home counties where my parents live and my sister and her family. With, cool. with all of them, there's about 10 of us, I think, on Christmas Day. And oh wow! Hung around till the twenty seventh, and then came back from there and went to my mates on New Year's, and that was it really. Otherwise, I've just been around the house, kind yeah. of twiddling my thumbs and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I quite like just having the time off. The thing about having a proper chunk of time off, like three weeks, because I did it last summer as well. Um, so we get about five weeks um, from Informer, and sometimes it's hard to use it all up. I mean, Americans would be like five weeks. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, but you know they that's just what to do with themselves. That's just a European way. And sometimes it's hard to use it all up because you'll have your big, you know, you'll have at least a couple of weeks in the summer. But that still is you three weeks to use up, and you use up maybe one around Christmas. But it Easter. can be sometimes well, hard to use it all up. Anyway, I didn't use mine up. Yeah, I and I like I like having these big chunks because my my it's like the the power of three for me. Uh, like the first week you're just unwinding. Yeah. Second week you're properly into the groove of being relaxed, and then third week you're you know, going back to work's on the horizon. Yeah. So it's that middle week's the golden week. Same goes, I can't remember, I was chatting to someone about weekends. Um, and actually, I think it might have been, it might have been Phil, your your boss, because I, I was explaining my holiday thing and assuming that him as an American would find that yeah. a bizarre concept. And and we were both agreeing that, that maybe um, Friday's off is good because then you get that three-day weekend where the middle day, you're properly chilled. And to be honest, who's to say that you won't be that much more productive in the other four days. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I really, yeah, I enjoyed that. And you know, you get to really just not that I dislike my work, far from it. But you just get to forget about work mm. and just and just clear your mind. Um, so hurrah! And so here I am with renewed vigor. Good. Um, I'm not drinking. And not drinking for now. So very vigorous. <laughs> well, quite. I tell you what, actually, that is a good point. Yeah, I um I went for my first run of the year the other day, and I it went a lot better than I thought it would be. That's good. And I thought, shit, is this because I haven't drunk for a couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, or it's, it'd only been about you know nine or ten days by the week and a half. But I thought, is that it? 
So what are the odds? <laughs> yeah, I know, but just the lingering effect. I mean, we know about hangovers, but like normally if I'll drink during the week, it won't be that much. It'd be like maybe a beer and a glass of wine over the course of the whole evening. Um, but even that, if you get that completely out of your system, yeah, 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 exactly. Your liver is like, oh. <laughs> your liver and, yes, your whole body. I mean, you know, I'm going to sound like I'm about to completely uh, give up the booze, but I don't think I'm quite ready to make that jump yet. Yeah. But it is a reminder, and obviously you get better sleep. That's another thing. Yeah. Um, and presumably you lose a bit of weight because alcohol is pretty calorific, isn't it? Uh, so there's lots of things in favour of it. But then on the other side of the ledger, getting pissed is a fucking great laugh. Yeah, it's quite boring sometimes, like drinking, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I think I find this month actually really quite a horrible month generally. <laughs> yeah, I can't it's stand bleak January. enough. It's so bleak. It's so sad. It's, it's just, yeah. It just seems to go on forever. It seems to be about seven weeks long. Yeah, and there's nothing happening in it. I'm quite and warm. I've you, got my. And you're not drinking and trying to lose weight. It's all a bit miserable. Fluffy hoodie on, and it's quite warm in here with the door shut. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, I have to wear like four layers when I'm sitting at my desk at home. Yeah, these little fingerless gloves. No, it's just. It, I mean, it's on in the morning. I just don't have it on during the day. Um, but we give ourselves a little boost in the morning. And, and it's kept at the thermostat level of about, I think, 17.6 centigrade, which isn't that hot. But, you know, if you try and keep it at 20, 21 all day, your fucking fuel bill is going to go mental, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been putting it on more than I should be doing, really, because it's just been feeling yeah, really cold in the house. Yeah, I just put on layers. <laughs> I put on layers I and drink well, tea. But it's, it's your fingers and your, and your sort of nose. That, You're not yeah. involved in your house. Like, this is not pleasant. Your ears, I get cold yeah. ears. Yeah. So there we are. That's It's all good fun. Yeah. Um, all right, we better crack on, haven't we? Yeah. Um, oh, are we still going? Is that, is that not it? Is that, <laughs> yeah. We've decided the Telecom.com podcast is now just going to be anecdotal bollocks <laughs> about our daily lives rather than anything Telecom. Well, thankfully, there has been some news, mm. um, which is always handy at the start of the year because the start of the year is normally pretty quiet. That's one of the reasons I took three weeks off because I know that first week of the year is normally dead anyway. It is normally dead on the news front. Yeah. In fact, January itself is usually fairly quiet until the end of it and people start to get their pre-NWC stuff yes, going on. Yes, quite. But, but, but we've, had, we've had a few good ones, actually. Yeah. Um, actually, we should probably mention that, that we, got, we got our own one within Informa, which is, uh, which is sort of merged with a company called Tech Target. Mm. It's not necessarily telecomsy, but it is tech sector. Um, and, and so our bit of Informa is going to become part of this Bit that's going to be effectively half tech target and half informer it's kind of weird how these things work because tech target's still going to be listed i think mm. um but yeah i mean i think i think it's i think it's actually in a broad strategic way leaving aside any you know any speculation about what it might mean for me personally professionally and i'm, I'm actually not worried um I, it feels like a strong statement of intent in that I think what Tech Target's really good at is digital marketing and all the stuff, all the stuff that really good digital media companies are good at, which is identifying their audience and segmenting it, and you know, and and properly exploiting it to their to the market. Yeah. And I in this I use exploit in a literal sense rather than a pejorative sense. Um, and so they're really good at that, and it's not necessarily something you know. I think we've always been pretty good, although I would say that at the journalistic side, but we're not necessarily that good at getting maximum um, revenue out of the audience that we generate through our journalism. And this, is, this isn't, by the way, a knock on any of our salespeople. This is more about the systems that I think people like Tech Target will bring in. So, you know, assuming that it all goes according to plan, um, it could be really positive. And then, and then we'll, of course, both get massive pay rises because mm, yeah, we're doing so well. 
So there's that. Um, but the but the even bigger M and A than that um, this week was HPE HP Enterprise um, went forked out fourteen billion dollars, which is fairly big M and A at any time, isn't well, it? Well, I think it's the biggest move uh, of, of a, a network vendor for another network vendor. Right. Uh, since probably 2016. Which was what? Uh, which was Nokia, Nokia by Alcatel Lucent, Lucent, which is 15.6 yeah. million euros. And that was, and that was uh, like a, an absolutely existential move by Nokia, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's obviously more of a telecom move, whereas these companies are known more for their activities yeah. in the enterprise space. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, you, you've been writing a hell of a lot more on this. I haven't written anything on it, um, but telecoms.com obviously has. Yeah. But you've been writing a lot on it. So in a minute, I will very much um, cede the floor to you. But I'll, yeah, I'll just tee it up. So, you know, we know about um, Juniper Networks. We had um, Tom, what's his name? Tom whatever. I've forgotten well, his surname. We, got, we had Neil McRae on. He's he's very much a Juniper person. Oh, yeah. Am I confusing Tom? He was someone else. He's Fresh Wave. Sorry, yeah. Tom. Yeah, so Neil. Yeah. Right. You God. start drinking again. <laughs> I'll be coming. <laughs> greater clarity. That's true. Maybe a God. couple of cigarettes. We got we got to get we got to get Neil on to comment on this. <laughs> see if he wants to keep his job. Yeah, I think it's a load of bollocks. Like, okay, is, yeah, is this you? Is this you handing in your notice, <laughs> Neil? Um, so uh, yes, so so Juniper Networks, obviously a a networks company. Um, but you know, I'm not going to waffle anymore. I'm going to I'm going to hand it over to you. What you know? What to start off with, Ian? You know, what is the significance of this for telecoms? Well, that's one of the concerns about it, actually, is what the significance of it is for telecoms because, you know, Juniper's, Juniper's big businesses these days and the ones that are kind of driving growth aren't. The, the telecom side actually has been, um, I think it's either been in decline or flat over the last sort of nine months and the cloud side of it similar. Um, the bit that's really been kind of driving growth from it is, is the stuff they do in the enterprise sector. Yeah. And that's a that's a bigger that's the biggest of those kind of three divisions, the way they break up their customer numbers. And what does and, enterprise mean in, in Juniper's context? What do they do for companies? Well it's it could be any it's it's I mean the thing but they're really networking. known for it's network equipment for the enterprise sector. So but, like uh, private networks? Well they it might be that it could yeah. be private networks, could but, be could be like um, um, self-contained sort of Wi-Fi or, or weapons-grade yeah, Wi-Fi. I mean, the thing they're—I suppose they originally what they're known for and um, is 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 you know they're a big competitor to Cisco in yeah, that market, switches, switches and, routers. and routers. That's the kind of legacy stuff, and they do have a big role in telecom. I'm not saying that they're not a significant telecom player, unlike HPE, by the way, which isn't a significant player no. of telecom. But, what was the big telecoms buy it did about a decade ago or something? Aruba was it? Yeah, I mean that's not really a telecom buy though. Okay. So it's similar. It's, there it's was another move. one that begin that had a three in it. Uh, I don't know, but the Aruba thing's very relevant to this this particular deal. The Aruba deal, which HPE made in 2015. So I mean, a little bit of history. Three com. Uh, HPE is obviously um, the a successor company to Hewlett Packard, the big IT equipment maker. You know, does computers, did computers, printers, as well as a bunch of, you know, server equipment and various other IT goodies up till I think 2014, 2015, and then it sort of did the splits, yeah? Into two, it, yeah. it split itself in this and kind so of the, slightly the, strange move. The printers move. and like, the laptops. Printers and laptops is still Hewlett Packard yeah. or HP, I think. Which is like a 1% growth or whatever. Yeah. 
boring but company. You, you know, you go to your PC world or whatever it yeah. is these days so and, buy, and buy, buy, yeah. still buy Hewlett Packard computers. And yeah, they're very much a kind of rival to people like Dell and Lenovo still in that in that space and probably still do printer equipment. I don't really know. I'm not really up on what's going on in printers these days. Does anybody still print stuff out? I don't know. I do. But there yeah. you are. So you, yeah. you might even have no, a Hewlett Packard I mean, printer. I think but, most people need, in, you know, it's the whole quick tangent, the whole domestic printer market is the printers themselves are lost leaders and yeah. then every time you print something it costs you about a tenner yeah in yeah. ink yeah yeah so that's so that's the hewlett-packard bit and then the other bit was hewlett-packard enterprise yeah the, the sort of b2b sort of facing side yeah. of it as opposed to the consumer facing side of it and what they do these days is you know you, they break it down by sort of customer segment really or pro product area in the way that juniper would do but they sell they sell storage equipment they sell computing you know it equipment to enterprises you know ser servers a lot of the, they're, they're one of the big server companies you know in the way that dell and what would the other one be um supermicro those would be the three really dell hpe and supermicro for uh, servers for servers yeah okay um and they do, um, one of the significant things they have done in the last few years, big, big takeover move that came not that long after this kind of doing the splits was this takeover of a company called Aruba yeah. Networks for about 3 billion, I, I think. Just, I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah. spot on, mate. That's yeah. what... That's so, what Wikipedia says, so it must be right. Got to be right, yeah. So they bought Aruba for about 3 billion, and that has made them into a, a much bigger networks player. And that's been, in, in a way, the thing that's actually been driving their growth recently. I mean, it's, it's been... Um, really high double digit rate I think sort of 41% in the last fiscal year sales growth um, they've got a guy called Phil Mottram in charge of that as yeah, the general that manager rings a bell. well he's he's talked I think in the past potentially about coming on the on the podcast okay right I mean I don't really know it's interesting because I don't know what this move really means for his role because the guy who's going to take over the whole of the network stuff is actually Juniper's boss uh, right. Rami Rahim and it kind of raises questions about where Phil Mottram fits in now as the guy who's been general manager of Aruba Networks. But but Aruba Networks, among other, it does things like um, like enterprise Wi-Fi. They're one of the big players in Wi-Fi. You know, setting up Wi-Fi systems for campus networks and this kind of thing. I went. I actually went, if you remember, last year to Rome with with um, HPE. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and the big thing they were doing there was installing Wi-Fi hotspots connecting it by backhaul to fiber, doing a lot of the analytics, you know, that you get at the golf, which could be used by players and coaches for all sorts of whizzy things. Yep. And, you making know, tracking your, football. You know, they, they have this cloud platform called GreenLake that's, a you know, it's, it's not a pu public cloud like uh, AWS and Microsoft and those guys, but it's, uh, you know, private cloud um, software as a service type, you know, uh, part of the business. And Aruba's, Aruba's really been kind of on a tear over the last sort of couple of years, at least. Okay. Certainly the last year. And, and still, they've still kept that name within HP, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, they call it Intelligent Edge, I think. They call the they call the sort of business that Aruba's in Intelligent Edge. But I think it's basically Aruba plus some stuff that they did before that that's kind of been mingled in with it. And and it's Aruba's the bit, this Intelligent Edge bitch is really the bit that the takeover of Juniper affects. So the, the standout message that um, Antonio Neri, he's called, he's the CEO of, of HPE, gave on the uh, call with reporters, the Q&A with reporters, was that this basically makes us a networking company. It's quite significant. I mean, before uh, HPE was a, you know, you look at the breakdown of its revenues and a huge yeah. amount's coming from storage, a huge amount's coming from compute. Yeah. And then you've got Aruba and a couple of other things. All of a sudden, with this combination with, with Juniper, that most of their revenues are coming from it's it's over sixty percent now is network related revenues. Right. But the interesting thing is that the telecom side of things, 
um, which was, I don't know how big, a, let's say it's a third of the size of, of Juniper altogether, something like that, is now obviously as a part of the combined thing, Juniper's service provider business is yeah. quite small now in terms of the overall picture. It's like 18% of revenues. Right. And I don't know what HPE was generating from telecom customers per se, but it's probably quite small. They don't really have a massive presence in that market. They're trying to get into that market, by the way. And you asked before we came on, is Open RAN relevant here? Yeah. Which it is. So one of the things that HPE does and is trying to do more of is selling this, the common off-the-shelf equipment, it gets called in the t by telcos, um, that you could put network software Cots. on. Cots equipment. Yeah. So use the sort of servers that they sell for use in data centers to support IT workloads would be sold to telecom operators uh, yeah. and, and used or, or actually sold to cloud companies and used to support telecom workloads. So is, is that well. coming into a similar um, conceptual area as like sort of general purpose chips doing yeah, telecom it's, stuff? Yeah, it's virtualization really. Yeah. I mean, it gets, it you're gets, basically, you're using non-bespoke shit to do yeah, bespoke it's, stuff. It's, it's virtualization yeah. essentially. And, and, and when it comes to the RAN, the radio access network, it tends to get sort of lumped in with open RAN, which is not quite the same thing. We talked about that yeah. loads in the past, but it, it's sort of in that area. And will so, in the future. Yeah, no so, so, so the idea is, you know, HPE comes along with its, uh, you know, COTS equipment and it's running Intel chips probably. And you put your network, you know, someone like Ericsson or Nokia could put their um, software on it, and you yeah. know, you um, you know, you deploy it in a in a data center, and you can share resources and realize benefits that way. And that's that's the pitch, obviously. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, obviously, that market has not really taken off in the way that it's you know, it's it's supporters would like. It's still relatively small in the bigger scheme of things. Most equipment's still kind of purpose built, traditional, certainly on the radio access network side of things. It's gone a bit further in other areas, but they're they're a pretty small player in in telecom. And although this makes this move by them makes um telecom a bigger part of their business, it actually makes telecom a, a relatively small in terms of the overall entity, if you see what I mean. So I spoke with yeah. I didn't speak I I communicated via email with one of our co one of my colleagues, called, a guy called Sterling Perrin, who's yep. um, a principal analyst at Heavy Reading, uh, which is like a sister company to Light Reading, obviously. And he's very much in the whole optical area. I see. And co has covered people like Juniper for a long time and knows more about them than I'll, I, I'll, I'll forget, all that sort of stuff. And one of his concerns, one of the things that he raised is, he put it quite succinctly, he said the, the E in HPE stands for enterprise. You know, they're an enterprise-focused company. I'm pretty worried. Juniper's been very, very well regarded, by the way. Um, this is a point that various analysts made to me for the quality of its telecom products. Right. It's it's really kind of regarded as an innovator in the stuff that it does. And having it swallowed up by this mainly enterprise-focused business at a time when the tele telecom market's pretty stagnant, yeah. And Juniper's telecom business hasn't been doing very well, not to do with the quality of it, just because I think no, the telecom market's because the fact is, I mean, we've stagnant. spoken about it uh, over the past year. You know, I operators are not spending a lot of money. They're, not, they're not spending a lot of money. And I think that there's a concern, there was a concern expressed by Sterling that what happens to telecom, does it become a kind of secondary concern? Is it no longer a priority? You know, is there a worry about them taking their eye off that business? And all the effort goes into the fast-growing enterprise market rather than serving telecom demands and that that is a concern and it was interesting on the q a there's various people raising questions about this you know what do you have to offer telcos and you know what does this mean for your 5g um activities and mm. 
so I think I think there's, there's yeah there's a there's so a they've bit got of a lot of explaining to do. In they've terms got some of... explaining to do, and I I also I'm not convinced by some of the pitch that was made on the Q and A. Have to say, um, do you remember a few years ago when Nokia was led by Rajiv Suri? Yeah. And um, they had this thing about having an end-to-end -end product portfolio. When they bought um, Alcatel, when they bought Alcatel, it's very much pitched on we've yeah. got an end-to-end -end portfolio. And the idea was you could take the sort of RAN stuff that Nokia does, and the core stuff that and it's all in one, and, and the and the IP and optical transport yeah. stuff that um, Alcatel Lucent does, and you can package it all together into this nice end-to-end, -end, fully integrated product for a telco. And then Pekka Lundmark, who's the current CEO, comes along in 2020. That's not how people And he goes, it. that's not how people, exactly, yeah. pretty much how he put yeah. it. Um, and completely scrapped that. And it turned the, out it was a shit idea. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and yet Juniper's rationale for why, the, what, one, of the, one of the sort of arguments they made on this Q&A, which is put forward by R R Rahim Rami, is it Rami Rahim? Rami Rahim, sorry, um, was that it would allow them to offer these these sorts of products in a, a fully integrated net, way enterprise network yeah and they and they kind of solution. made a big deal i mean there were a few things they, they always out. want to sell solutions don't they they always want to sell products. solutions they, i mean they said fully so one of the big concerns about 5g open ran is that you've got to put all this stuff together and integrate it and we can actually come along with a fully integrated product set but yeah. he prefaced that by talking about all this sort of optical and and core stuff, which that's not how operators buy things. I mean, if you look yeah. at the way nobody nobody does deals like that, really. They'll they'll pick their random. You don't get Vodafone going, Oi, Ericsson, sort everything out. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. no one would want to do that. So that's that's one concern. The other thing that I found a bit odd is this idea that they that they they were sort of trying to um, you know suggest they have some kind of comprehensive five G offer now because of this move, but they don't. They're not really a radio access networks player. So what Juniper has is this, um, you've heard of the RIC, you know, the RAN Intelligent yeah. Controller, which is this sort of whizzy thing that's pitched as a possible component of future 5G open RAN networks. It basically give you more control over, um, it's almost like an app store in a way, I guess you could think of it, for okay. the network where you could introduce features for the... For this the is like a, an evolution of the concept of NFV. It's an evolution of the concept of self-organizing networks, right. where you, you have applications that would manage the network that you can roll out. You put them on top of this RIC, like a software application that you roll out. But instead of it being an application for your phone, it's an application for the network. So what, right. what it might do is power down base stations in the evening when there's not any traffic driving through that area or something. So it's, and, it makes the whole thing more fine-tuned and bespoke. Yeah, and, and, and the thing, the, the question's always been, well, can't you do that with a purpose, with a, a, a non-open RAN network? And apparently the I mean, the, the guys who were sort of into open RAN will say that this is something that was largely ignored by 3GPP. I mean, they do have SON, the self-organized Yeah, that's been around concept. for a while. Around, but I don't think it's as dynamic. I don't think it's as real time. That's the idea yeah. as what they've and kind of come tweakable. up with. It, and tweakable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Juniper has one of those. It has one of those platforms. Um, HP has obviously got its server business, which Antonio Neri talked up in the, in the call. It's got this, um, you know, it's working with companies like um, obviously Intel, but some other chip makers, Ampere, mm. Ampere Computing's one that's doing ARM-based chips. Yeah, and with everything getting more and more cloudy. Yeah, they're um, they're the kind of quite involved yeah. with the bigger... Big, um, uh, but I don't see I don't yeah. see why... I don't know if this is something they said, but I don't see why it would necessarily be appealing to buy your networking kit off someone who's also got a shitload of servers and no, all that sort of thing. No, and, and the thing is, even with those servers and even with that RIC, the big gap they've got is they don't make radios... 
right. and they don't make they don't do RAN software. The things the companies that do the radios and the RAN software, which are obviously the most important things in a radio access network, are the Ericsons and the Nokia's of this world. What's what was interesting? Another another analyst I um, uh, spoke to is Jennifer Pig Clark, who's uh, also heavy reading. Uh, and in this kind of area. And she raised the, the, the interesting thing about Juniper having a long-standing partnership with Ericsson, which is, dates uh -huh. back to something like 2018. So the, I remember that being announced at the time. And the, again, it was very much one of these, if an operator does want to do something in a bit, bit more of an integrated way, they can take our RAN stuff and bring right. some it of... Take me back to, do you remember Cisco Ericsson? Partnership. A fucking waste so, of time. But this was when when this Juniper thing got announced. I think one of the questions was, was how how does it affect your Cisco partnership? Because isn't yeah, Cisco doing some of quiet. the things that Juniper? Yeah. yeah, and they went what? Yeah. What Cisco partnership? But but I think what Jennifer was saying is um, it'd be quite interesting to see whether this is uh, advantageous for Ericsson because it's it's obviously worked with HPE in the past. Yeah, uh, simply because. HP is one of the server companies. There aren't very many of them. So right. if, you, if you're taking any interest at all in virtualization, you're going to be having something to do with Dell and HPE. And it's a partner of Juniper. So maybe we could see those three companies. I mean, it's only going to be two companies in future because it's the new, new look HPE with Juniper plus Ericsson doing some kind of offer for operators that want to buy things in that way. But I still go back to Pekka Lundmark's point that I just find it very odd that anybody would want to come along and get these components from the core, from transport and from the RAN side of things from mm. one company. They, they Open RAN's about disaggregation. It's not about integration. There's the integration. Well, quite, as we've said but, loads of times, what's the point in yeah. being Open RAN if one yeah. supplier is doing all your stuff? Yeah, but, but having said all that, and I'm kind of knocking the rationale for the deal, that's very much a telecom concern of it. Um, there's, there's obviously the bigger part is the enterprise side of things. And Mm. Um, you know, that's where a lot of the analyst attention's been. And one of the concerns they've got there and is... And they've dangled AI as, well, as a topical This is This is how thing. the thing's been sold. It's been sold as an AI deal more than anything else. How's that then? Well, so one of the things that's been called out repeatedly on calls, I think, and in releases is this thing that Juniper has called Mist AI that you might have heard of. I haven't. No. So it's, a, it's an AI system basically for managing enterprise networks. You, you use it to sort of um, address problems before they arise right. and make pr improvements to customer experience kind of on the fly, that sort of thing. And I think one of the reasons that... Which is the, a lot of what AI is going to be doing yeah, in the, enterprise. I think level. Mist, which is very highly regarded, one of the reasons uh, the deal's gone through is, is heavily about that capability. The concern is that some of the stuff that HP does on the Aruba side overlaps with that. There's, there's quite a bit of overlap between okay. these two portfolios. So, and what they've said is, they got asked this question and... Juniper CEO went, I'm not worried about overlap because at the moment the opportunities for cross-selling and upselling are bigger. But at some point, we're not going to have two portfolios. We're going to have one. Yeah. So they're going to have to bring things together. Well, a mega M&A takes ages to fucking and, play out. And that's it? the worrying thing, I suppose, from an employer perspective as well, is this whole concept of in synergies, which you yes. expect to see whenever there's, like you say, mega M&A, you always expect that. But it's $450 million a year they're looking to save in right. costs. I mean, they've got... Well, they've always got to come up with... When they're doing their little prospectus for mega M&A, that's always one of the figures they've got to yeah. say. Here's, here are the synergies in terms of money. Yeah. Um, and, and they're always just... They're always just pulling numbers out of their arse. I mean, they would they have, are. you know, they would have had some very skilled, highly paid experts do the number crunching, but it's still guessing, really. It is, but if if it's, you know, if it's at that kind of level, it's potentially got a big impact on custom. I mean, you, yeah, you know, employee numbers. You wouldn't expect them not to take some staff out. I think together, by the way, they have about seventy thousand members of staff. 
when the deal goes through, they'll have about 70,000. Well, there'll certainly be synergies on current that numbers. Efficiencies. Yeah and, yeah, and you'd expect there to be quite a lot of um, uh, uh, yeah redundancies happening as a consequence, which is just a normal thing to expect, I suppose, of a, a merger of that scale. They're also quite heavily indebted after it. So the, right. the, the, the fee, which is, you mentioned, 14 billion, I think said about a third premium to the share price yeah, of Juniper before right. the deal went through. It was about 30. Um, but it's... It's 40 bucks and it was a 30. It involves yeah. HP taking on more debt. So I think it's yeah. that metric that gets cited a lot these days, net debt to EBITDA, goes up to about 3.3 after right. the deal. And they want to get that back down to two within two years of the deal closing. So they've either, to do that, they've either got to grow sales quite quite well or they've got to take a lot of costs out. Yes. You know, and the market's not, you know, bits of the markets that they're in are not great at the moment. So, you know, you kind but of you wonder say, whether... But you say HP on the whole, because I don't really track them very closely, I've got to be honest. You well, say H- do HP I. on the only, whole... Only when it's to do with telecom, usually. Or, or golf. Or golf, yeah. Um, but HP on the whole, perhaps just from your research this week, has been doing all right, yeah? It's been making decent wedge. It's been doing all right at the Aruba side of things. It's been doing oh, brilliantly okay. at the Aruba side of things. But that, how... That's been off on a fl- on a tear. The computing right. and storage has been in decline right. quite badly, actually. I it think, must be last... a fucking cutthroat market. Yeah, in the last... Like Dell and I think the... the last nine months, or I can't remember if like, they've reported fiscal like, recent fiscal okay. year yet or if it's a nine months, but I did look at the numbers and they're, they're not good on the compute and storage side of things. And I was just looking... I was looking... I mean, HP is one of those companies that... Um, that intrigues me because they're so acquisitive uh like about 10 20 years ago it was cisco they, they just go off buying random shit they, yeah. buy, they buy like a domestic router they bought some webcam you know they just go fuck it let's yeah. buy that and hp's or hp has been like that and then um just looking at my little bit of clicking about so i was reminded of 3com 3com okay. which was yeah, a networking yeah. company yeah which they bought um in 2010 Okay, and I've got I've gone onto Wikipedia. Wikipedia is great for this list of well, three three cops probably the 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 it's, that's probably a lot of that stuff. I imagine has ended up with Aruba in this. Yeah, I would age. imagine so. Yeah, yeah, that's why. So that was networking, and they paid two point seven billion in twenty ten for that. Yep. Um, on the enterprise side, I mean, there was the most hilarious bit of M and A, which is autonomy, which was in twenty eleven, which they paid eleven million billion for, right. and it turned out. Well, I bet be careful because there's all sorts of litigation going around this. But, but the CEO of Autonomy is alleged by HP to have completely taken them for a ride right. and fucking lied about all the metrics. I do remember something about. Yeah, that, he's yeah. still. I forget his name. He's sort of like sneaky looking bloke. Um, but they've been in litigation for ages because right. they basically paid eleven bill, and I think they wrote it all off. Wow, that's a okay, fuck that's a, a lot, isn't it? Was that that was presumably well before the split into HP? Yeah, and HP. so that's 2011. Yeah. Um, uh, and their thing, I remember looking into it at the time just because it was mega M&A, their thing was unstructured data. Right. That was a big thing at the time, like video, stuff that doesn't have meta tags, stuff that, that isn't already in a database form. How do you sort that out? That, that was their big punt on unstructured data, and it turned out to be a shit idea. Right. But, you know, that doesn't put them off. They still go around buying stuff. And, and then, yeah, then there was the Aruba thing, which, um, what does it say here? The, the, the acquisition three billion. So that's actually not that bad. Yeah. So that was three billion. I think it was making seven hundred and seventy million a year in annual revenues at the time. Right. But that the combination of the I mean the intelligent edge is now making about one point two billion a quarter. Right. 
I mean, yeah. obviously that's not just a room, but that would have been three the three com stuff I'm guessing and the other things they mm. had. But it's Another but it's, it's really grown. You look at the performance of the Intelligent Edge, and it's 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 doing well. It's well I tell you, you well. should you should go onto Wikipedia and just and just Google um, list of acquisitions by by HP. Right. It's so long. I mean, it is a company that's been around forever, um, but. You know, there's just some really big ones. Um, I mean, there was Compaq. You remember Compaq yeah, with a yeah. Q on the end? Mm. Yeah, the computer um, maker. Yeah, maker. they were expensive. So that laptops. was that was a um, that was like a dot com bubble one. Although actually, they did it just after the dot com bubble bursted, which makes it an even more of a an incredibly reckless thing. How much do you reckon they paid for Compaq? Bear in mind, this is in September two thousand and one. Oh, no idea. Twenty five bill. Twenty five billion. Wow. I know, and, and and it was just PCs, and no one gives a fuck about PCs now. Well, um, I wouldn't say that. Well, they're commodity goods, though, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, unless it's one of those. There's a guy using a PC. <laughs> I mean, as a, as an intro, I mean, from a business journalist point of view, obviously everyone needs a PC, but it's not a very exciting growth market. It's very commoditized. No. It's very mm. mature. There's, it's not, it's not an area that you know. If you were looking to make some money, you wouldn't go. I tell you what, why don't we three of us start up a PC company? No, you yeah. do spectacles that connect you to the metaverse. Yeah, and so they they got all that. Um, what is it? Um, yeah, the just, metaverse just, is only for people with good eyesight. It's casting or everyone else. <laughs> EDS, EDS, which was like a system integrator um, consulting firm, oh, yeah, fourteen bill yeah, in uh, two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, then there's three com, which is two point seven bill. Um, yeah, autonomy, like I said, eleven. Um, Samsung's printing business for a bill. Um, anyway, so they've just been buying like crazy. So. I guess, and the fact they bought it with a lot, lot of debt always alarms me because it puts different kinds of pressure on the acquisition as well. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, th do you I mean, think, um, I mean, on the whole, and, and by all means say what you're about to say, but on, on top of that, you know, when we talk about mega MA, we generally just make an initial, like, shoot from the hip verdict as to whether it's a good move or not. So on top of whatever else you want to say, just tell me whether you think it's a good move or not. I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's things about it that make sense. You know, um, and there's concerns about it. I'd say it's one of those ones where it's. I sound like I'm sitting on the fence. No, it's not am, a bit like when we're talking about Ericsson and Vonage. You can see some yeah, of the rationale, but you're not totally it's, sold. It's maybe a harder one for me to be a judge on as well because a lot of it's Less in areas expert. that I don't yeah. really know that much about. I mean, I think from the telecom side of things, which is the bit I do know more about. Yeah, it certainly makes HPE a bigger force in telecom, mm. but. I don't go along with the rationale they can. I mean, I, I wrote a story with a headline that the pitch is flawed. They, they yeah. wouldn't be particularly happy with my take on, on that's it. Your, that's the lead featured uh, story. That was the last like one reading I did. At the moment. Oh, is it? And, yeah. and I, I just, I just felt this, um, this. It was like they were resurrecting this end-to-end -end idea exactly. that, that Raji Suri was going on about previously. And you know, if they think there's an opportunity to grow sales by marketing things in that way, I think they're going to have a really tough time of it. And that's not to say that they can't. Um, you know, do reasonably well in this market. And Juniper's, as I say, Juniper's products are really highly regarded, but it's not a good market to be in at the moment. You know, that whole horrible slowdown that happened last year that's really affected the big kit vendors in telecom like Ericsson and Nokia mm. extremely badly. Not showing a lot of sign of picking is, up, is it? That's caught Juniper as well. I mean, its right. service provider sales aren't, aren't in a great place. And, you know, I don't think they're going to... I think we're going to have to move to a different sector? <sighs> like enterprise networking, maybe. Oh, I mean, that... That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the but the the I mean the, the concern on the enterprise side is um, is bringing these two things together because you know what happens when now here's another parallel with Nokia Alcatel Lucent actually one of the things that apparently tripped them up is yeah okay 
Alcatel-Lucent has all this core and IP and fixed stuff that Nokia didn't do, but it also had a mobile uh, infrastructure business. And I think it was the integration of that with Alcatel-Lucent that it was blamed subsequently by them for some of the problems they had in the early days of 5G when, you know, they they, they kind of lost the plot, really. And yeah. they made some questionable decisions and um, to take their eye off the ball. Yeah. They, I remember talking to the former CFO about it, actually, and he was saying that the, you know, the merger activities had kind of been... I don't know if you put it as a distraction, but it was certainly something that um, factored into Well, it is. Happened. I mean, the thing is... You know, you're dealing with senior execs who are presumably all very clever and competent yeah. and expert, but there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. And if, if a big chunk of that is taken up by something extraordinary, then you're spending less time on the core stuff. I mean, yeah. it's, it's and that, simple, isn't it? And that's the concern in a different market, obviously. But I think bringing together Aruba and Mist, these two things that need kind of combining, that's going to be quite hard to do. You know, it's right. like, it's a question, do you, do you just sort of, you're not going to scrap one and... Presumably, they're not just going to replace everything that they had in Aruba that was re relevant to Mist with Mist. Mm. There's probably they're probably going to look at the two portfolios. So where will they complement each other? Where, where do they complement each other? Will Which they create go? a super solution that's greater than the sum of its parts? Yeah, which is can often look great on PowerPoint, but then in practice, well, it, it sounds like one a really interesting point that uh, Raymond James is like a broker firm. Yeah, that they made about it in a note that I got sent was. The, apparently, they've been quite critical in the past of Cisco, uh, both Juniper and HPE in this market, for being overly complex. Like the solutions it provides, yeah. are, the campus solutions it provides yeah. are overly complicated. I mean, they've obviously got a competitive incentive to be critical of. They have, but the rationale that it's overly complicated and all things are quite neat and, and simple. Now they're, this combination they're could end up yeah. making it equally complicated. It might tick more boxes, but it's... It's a it's a more kind of complement complicated portfolio, a more complicated offering than you had previously. It sort of undermines your former argument, and it's just a hard thing to execute. I think so. That's the, that's the, okay. the challenging thing. And then just one other thing I I want to say on that one, and and then if after that you've got any sort of last thoughts on on this bit of M and A, then feel free. Um, there was another story, but I, I just sort of thought of the two things sort of slightly merge in my mind and I'll, I'll run this past you and see if I, you think I'm talking shit but I wrote a story I was quite happy with the headline I said Dish gets 50 million on a plate yeah. for new open RAN development centre and I even put a picture of, of a of a Dish slash plate on the story to labour the pun <laughs> um, and um, and so and so this um, this American um state organization called the NTIA, National Telecommunications and Information Administration, has got a bunch of money um, for a, a thing. I'm just going to click on that hyperlink. Uh, Public Wireless Supply Chain Innovation Fund, or Innovation Fund for short. For once, they've managed to come up with something that hasn't got a cheesy acronym, like the CHIPS Act or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and, and so they got some money, a bit like we've got in the UK every now and then, on a, obviously on a much smaller scale, you hear the government announce that they've chucked 20 mil at some project. Well, they've, um, or, or more like 20K. Yeah. Um, and so they've chucked 50 mil at DISH to come up with this um, thing they're calling um, the Open RAN Center for Integration and Deployment. Or ORCID, ORCID. ORCID, actually, that's good. ORCID, ORCID works, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, uh, and and anyway, I mean, it, it actually doesn't seem like a bad idea because, you know, it's like one of those things, a bit like that Rakuten one we went to in person. Remember when we got lost on the way? Yeah. Um, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where, 
you know, it's one of these inter- interoperability centers where everyone brings their kit in and sees if it works with each other and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. But then their, their rationale is Dish has actually got an o- a live commercial open RAN network. Mm. So, you know, using using slightly sciencey terms, I said, you know, you can combine in vitro, which, which which literally the etymology means in glass, but it's used in science to mean in a lab conditions. You can combine in, be- in vitro in a normal sort of um, interoperability testing environment with in vivo, which means literally in life, yeah. i.e. in real life, because Dish has got this live open RAN network. So it doesn't seem like a bad idea. But it, the main reason I bring it up, it's just a reminder of how America is still chucking money at open run. Yeah. And that's that's why I thought of this HPE thing buying uh, and wondering if there was an open run aspect of it. Because it seems quite clear that if you're an American company and you make the right noises about open run, and to a lesser extent this applies in the UK as well, then you can probably get a bit of easy public money. There's definitely an open RAN side to it, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've I've long before this happened, I've liaised quite a lot with HP and written a fair few stories on them to do with open RAN. I mean, I'd say more virtual RAN than open RAN actually, but let's use open RAN as a kind of umbrella term, you know, for 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 both those things. And they definitely have a play in that. And I also think what they're doing is quite interesting because they've talked a lot in the past about the need to... So one, one of the concerns that I've always written about is this over-reliance on Intel as a chip supplier yeah. in that market, simply because Intel is the dominant force in general purpose processors. And there aren't, there aren't really... The only real alternative these days is AMD. There's long been this sort of effort to try and get um, ARM, which is, a, you know, the rival architecture that's better known for, for the sort of blueprints that you use in, in smartphone chips. Yeah. Um, it, and other embedded uh, and other stuff. embedded stuff but yeah. there's long been a sort of push to get them um make them a bigger force if you like in in that market you know driven by them and their kind of licensees and it's never really gone anywhere and there's so i mean one of the stories I, one of the first stories i wrote this year actually is arm is sort of coming now it's kind of kind of starting to establish yeah. itself in the virtual ran market or there are signs of options happening there are there are there are kind of um moves by various players to um, to, de- to develop ARM-based chips, basically, that you could use yeah. in an HPE server. And they've been trying for a while. Yeah. When I yeah. used to cover ARM before this job, two jobs before this, when I was at a place called Hexus, I got to know ARM quite well. Yeah. Um, because I, because Hexus um, was a big x86 chip um, yep. uh, Which is the Intel system, obviously. Yeah, which is yeah. what Intel and AMD yeah. run on. Um, and then this is this is about 2007 when the modern day smartphone was just emerging with the first iPhone, the first Android phones, and I was like, oh, hold on a sec. Turns out there's an English company yeah. that that is that is behind all the chips that's in all these fucking phones, which yeah. I didn't even realise at the time because I was yeah. still learning about it. So I got to know them, and and their chief marketing guy was an ex Intel guy who obviously felt some degree of at least competitiveness, if not antagonism, towards Intel. And he was whispering yeah, that, my ear. That still goes on now. Yeah, he, yeah. he was whispering my ear even back then. You, you watch, we're coming for Intel yeah. and servers. But never really went sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it's taken a while, hasn't it? Because that it's would have been 15 years ago. It's kind of happening ago. now. I mean, it's, you know, the, the piece I wrote drew attention to various initiatives that are going on. But it's, you know, it's how much traction they can build this year will be really interesting to see. But there's definitely a lot of initiatives going on about getting ARM-based chips. And some of it comes from the hyperscalers, like the work that Amazon's done with its own Graviton processors, which are based you yeah. know and you can use those for nokia's done some stuff where it's put ran software on those yeah um there's this company called ampere computing which is backed by oracle um and run by someone who used to work at intel but they're doing arm-based processors yeah. and they're pitching some of that for the virtual ran so that's where i'm quite Im- impressed with and HPE. of course is in, there in, um, in that? 
in these excellent Mac chips, they're all ARM-based. Yeah, yeah. So ARM's definitely catching up. Not, yeah. I mean, the, the old paradigm, when I was first learning about it, is um, inter, x86 are more powerful, but they're more power inefficient yeah. and hotter. So they're great for data centers where there's cooling and all that sort of thing, and even great for PCs that have got a fan. Yeah. Um, but they're shit for stuff that you want to keep in your pocket um, without burning your bollocks off. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the paradigm, and then on the flip side, ARM is great for heat efficiency and general efficiency, but it doesn't have the grunt of yeah. an x86 chip. But now we've got things like these M. What are we up to? M3, M4, M5, M3, um, and they, you know, they seem to be pretty powerful. They bench test pretty well compared to x86, well, don't they? Yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the things that's happened happening uh, or has happened quite recently with ARM is uh, the introduction of something called vector processing. So like older chips, older GPPs were very much based on scalar processing. Right. And um, Intel has long had this. There's long there's long been this sort of system in x86 called Cross. I can't remember the acronym now, but it's basically something that supports vector processing. A little bit like GPUs. You know, the thing about GPUs is you can do lots of parallel stuff at the same time. It's like you can process an array of numbers with vector processing. And I've got, I've got a segment in a bit on GPUs. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's basically about looking at an array of, of, of numbers at the same time rather than doing sort of things on an individual basis. And uh, when I've talked to Ericsson about this, a guy called Matteo Fiorani there, who's like basically the head of their distributed unit business, because um, they're quite interested in getting ARM-based processes into the market as well, so they've mm -hmm. got an alternative to Intel, basically. In 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 this, um, you know, in, in this. I've area. seen you've written already this yeah, year about and, the Ericsson Intel, and he, and he was really thing. impressed at some of the stuff that's happening on on vector processing on the ARM side now. There's this thing called SVE2, I think, which right. is, stands for something vector extension or something like that. But it's um, it's a system that ARM's been sort of introducing, I think, into some of its latest designs, and that would. He, he was saying this would really, really help when it comes to the radio access network. It would actually deal with some of those problems that you just talked about to do with the chips being less powerful. And Clearly, you've still got this problem, I think, on the layer one side, which is the, you know, the, the kind of really demanding software in the RAN. If you, if you separate it into different categories, that's the, the physical layer, the, the kind of um, compute hungry bits. Uh, there's still a view there that you do need some kind of acceleration some kind yeah. of customized chip yes uh, the the question is to what extent you know how much are you going to rely on that and how much are you going to rely on the gpp the, the general purpose processor and there's different views on that but i was just reminded uh, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole yeah we, we should we've been talking like, about, talk about x86 that, versus arm but there's also this thing called risk there's risk five yeah. risk five oh, okay yeah. i was calling it risk v yeah. and i just looked on the internet um on on google I just saw... Well, it's a bigger deal in China, apparently, now, because of uh, trade well, restrictions. Well, again, actually, yeah. that overlaps. I might as well do that segment right now. Um, but uh, on my Google search, one of the questions was, is RISC-V, I, I keep wanting to call it RISC-V because it's Roman numerals, um, better than ARM? And, and the quick response is it's higher performance. Right. RISC-V-based processors can deliver higher performance than proprietary processors for certain blah, 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 blah. Anyway. I mean, I, I um, heard there's not a lot of difference. The main difference between the two of them is that RISC-V is open source. Yeah, that's that's the key. Well, so you don't have that both, issue of paying licensing fees. Risk to, stands for reduced instruction executing, which is, which and is what ARM is, is as well. It's which advanced is risk machines, efficient. I think, is what the acronym stands what for. What it isn't was. It? So until they decided it's not an acronym anymore, and they just yeah, named after a part yeah, of your body. Yeah. I mean, what next? Uh, a new company well, you get allowed to do interesting headlines like ARM wrestle for yeah, well, virtual fine. RAN is exactly. will challenge Intel this year, which is what I think I wrote uh, um, a week ago. Whatever. Well, let me move it on to. So we got. Actually, we've got probably about four segments this week, um, so we'll we'll make these sort of long tail ones 
relatively short and sweet. It's not drinking. It's not good, is it, on the podcast? You sort of feel like having one when you're about oh, yeah. an hour in or whatever. Probably an hour in now. I should, but... We shouldn't leave these bottles here. I'm looking at uh, them. I'm looking at them. With, I don't know how we almost, ever coped in the days when we did With almost drink. sexual desire at this stage. Um, <laughs> look, at the, well, look at the curves on that bottle. <laughs> um, but we're strong. We're, yeah. we, can, we can handle it. Yeah. I'm just hearing the can opening sound like... I'm looking forward to my just alcohol-free that, one afterwards. Just that so. Friday, that first one on a Friday, you're like the weekend starting <laughs> now, isn't it? Um, so I wrote my very first story of the year was headlined, um, Chinese companies reportedly turning to Huawei for AI chips. Um, and this was, who was I journalizing? Uh, Wall Street Journal. I said, according to WSJ's handy, people familiar with the matter. This is what people like Wall Street Journal, FT, New York Times do. They've always got these sources, which, by the way, if anyone wonders, I probably said this before, when they have these supposed leaks or these anonymous sources, they're nearly always official leaks. It's not just some rando who's yeah. gone, fuck it, this needs to get out there. It will have been, it will have been someone with a commercial agenda leaking it giving an exclusive to one of these companies like Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal or whatever. Um, and and it's a sort of, it's, it's not unethical, but it's not purely ethical. There's a synergy. There's an understanding between the publication that they protect the person's anonymity um, and, and basically support their agenda uh, in return for a scoop. So it's fine. I'm not saying it's wrong, but don't think it's just this pure like, you know, Edward Snowden type of thing, where yeah. it's a whistleblower or something like that. Although more on whistleblowers in a bit, eh? Mm -hmm. um, look at us setting up these segues. That's, that's the benefit of being sober. <laughs> you notice these things. Um, anyway, so the post of this story was a Wall Street Journal um, story. Let me click through on that and, and say what their headline was. NVIDIA's new China pickle, customers don't want its downgraded chips. So long and short of this is... You know, we know the US for about three years now has been coming up with unilateral um, sanctions on China with the main, and they pretty much admit this, with the main aim of just making them less good at technology. I still think in a purely moral way, in a strategic way, in a geopolitical way, I think it's totally understandable. In a purely moral way, I don't think they've got a leg to stand on. Why, why, do, why do they get to shit on someone else just because they don't want them catching up with them? All they're doing is just throwing their weight around as, as the world's most powerful country. Mm. And so that's what they're doing with China. Obviously, no one's going to get the violin out too much for China because they're pretty fucking powerful as well. But um, And there was a, an interesting thing that actually reminded me of a story that I linked back to that I wrote um, uh, back at last March. Where's the link? Is, is NVIDIA going to be okay, do you think? The yeah, do you know is, what I mean? The stock is only 12%. Of, are NVIDIA shareholders going to be all right? Past week. Jensen Huang going to be able to buy another country. Um, this is a thing I wrote in March 23, um, covering a report which was also first covered covered previously by Light Reading, I must add. Who, who covered that? It'd probably be Robert Clark, wouldn't it? If it was, yeah, it was. It was Australian. Um, and so his headline was, China dominates research in 6G and optical report. And so I led with that. My headline on that was, China is miles ahead on telecoms research. And then there was a little table showing little areas within subsets of technology research where and who's the lead country. So there's one called Advanced Material and Manufacturing in, in which they have 10 subheadings, starting with nanoscale materials, coatings, all, all sorts of uh, high-tech. And basically China's the lead country in all 12 of them. 
Right. And then the one that was most relevant to us and most relevant to this segment was artificial intelligence, comma, computing and communications. No Oxford comma there, I, I should note. Um, I mean, it, it sounds, just to sort of interject, mm. um, it sounds like they've sort of missed a trick, though, in that research. Because China clearly isn't ahead when it comes to high-end chip design. Well, hold on. Hold on. Right. So in this second segment, which um, which has got, I think, 10 sub-segments in it, uh, China is ahead on seven. Right. So it's ahead on 5G and 6G, optical. This is the main purpose of both the light reading and the telecom.com stories on that. But then also, it's relevant to this. And it's only once you get down to the last three that USA is the lead one, which is high-performance computing, advanced integrated circuit design and fabrication, right. and natural language processing, okay. i.e. the more chat GPT type of stuff as opposed to the kind of AI, because they are ahead. China is considered to be ahead, for, according to this thing, on artificial, on AI algorithms and hardware accelerators, which is interesting. I don't quite I, get how I, they get that. I, I find some of this a bit spurious. Yeah, well, this was a thing from really nearly did. a year ago um, by one Australian. But the point is... I mean, what are the big AI companies from China that we would think about when we talk about big AI companies? Because the, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, but, all the, all the, but I don't know much about China at maybe, all. Maybe it's just because we're shut off from that market. But I, th I think yeah, it's hard maybe to maybe Alibaba was really good at it. I don't know be, because they're so insular these days. And more yeah, exactly. So, now in the so last it's hard to know. Days, it's hard to answer I, that I question. I don't know what they've used to measure it against other companies. Exactly. That's well, the problem. But, but the reason I bring it up is not because this is definitive, but because it, it frames this story. So. China's already really good at AI. Let's just let's just take this at face value for now, yeah? China's already really good at AI, but what they're not very good at is high-performance computing. Yeah. So what does America do? It restricts their access to high-performance computing. Yeah. So, you know, if they were just working off this table alone, and I'm sure they're, they're working off a little bit more intelligence than that, yeah. they would go, okay, we're behind on fucking everything except high-performance computing, so then let's use that to our advantage. And so what they've done... If they said to NVIDIA, which is obviously a US company and is the world leader, and that's why its share price has gone so mental. What's it? You know, if you bought it a few years ago, you're getting about 10 times your money or something now, aren't you? Um, and they've been around forever. And I used to cover them a lot when I was at Hexus because they do graphics cards. And yeah. Stuff. That's what's in my PC at home. Um, and, um, and so they've gone, all right, NVIDIA, you can sell GPUs. Or, or, or specific cards for high-performance computing into China, but they've got to be shit versions of what we can get yeah. here. I mean, they've they've figured that that's the way they can hurt China. Exactly. In, and I don't see... see the, one of the reasons I have a bit of an issue with some of that research is that there's not an obvious way that China can do the reverse. You know, there's not a thing that it can restrict the, uh, the Americans' access to that will hurt their technological capability. Well, there's... there's and and you mean, don't see a lot of people at the moment... Well, there's saying, the advanced materials, for starters. Um, I, you know, they, you there's, know they, there's the raw materials. Rare, rare yeah, the, that, okay, yeah. and they have done that, haven't they? They have the, tried to introduce some legislation where they say they will clamp down on on silicon exports. I mean, the raw materials, yeah, or, and or, other or stuff. Some of those obscure gallium nitrides, whatever it might be. But, that, that I need. mean, there's the raw materials, but in terms of the actual, you know, what you do with them and the technologies, there's not a lot that I can see that they that they where they can say we're going to shut off access. The, the most no, obvious, I agree. The, the most that, obvious. That's not ones, the point that's being made here. No, I, I know. I'm just, I'm okay, just sort of saying that that's just one of the reasons I, I find it hard to, you know, no, nobody's looking at Microsoft and and um, 
you know, and, and Amazon and, and Google and, and and Elon Musk's various companies and going, these guys are not really up to snuff when it comes to AI these days, are they? And quite quite the opposite. And and yeah, you know, as a as a market where it's a, a glo- yeah, this is the attraction of Silicon Valley, isn't it? You've got some of the best universities in the world. People are from everywhere. You can get the Chinese to go and work there if you want. You can lure them with money. Indeed. And, you know, you, yeah, there's there's not an equivalent to me. Uh, and I'm an outsider. I appreciate that. I don't spend a lot of time in China, but it's hard to see in that kind of nearly totalitarian system that there's a, an obvious equivalent. I think one of the things that when The Economist writes about China and, and business there and technology in the last few years under the sort of Xi Jinping era, that there's a concern it's actually going backwards a little bit in in, in some regards because it's yeah. it's not the way to... You, that's not where innovation comes from, is to try and have too much state control and, you know, totally. and run no, things And Xi Jinping has and definitely you, hobbled... So, that he's, I mean, they're, they're getting attacked from both fronts, the Chinese tech sector, from yeah. the US and internally. So I'm, I'm afraid I don't really believe a lot of that research that, that's come out. Okay, well, that, I, this I, was I from nearly a year ago. I have an, but, have an issue with But it. I don't want to be too sidetracked, and that's fine. Yeah. Your, your objection's noted. Yeah. The, the but, one area, by the way, where they, are, they were always supposed to be ahead that was really yeah. relevant to what we talk about was Massive MIMO. Right. You know, um, and and 5G, you know, there's this long thing about, you know, you go and talk to the telecom operators themselves even, and they don't want to go on record a lot of the time when they say it, but yeah, Huawei's better than Ericsson and Nokia. And I think that was always something that was acknowledged for a long time, that they had better yeah. RAN equipment. Than well, the and, and in defence of this thing yeah. from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute from last March, you know, the they do say, and this is the reason that both our titles covered it, that, that they're kicking ass in 5G and 6G yeah. generally. Yeah. But anyway, this isn't, that's that's not the main point. So no. nothing you've said I disagree with, but I don't want to be too sidetracked for too long. The point is, America said to Nvidia, you can only sell shit versions of your um, like AI um, GPUs. Yeah, AI GPUs to China. And initially, China was like, all right, we'll just buy more of them and just sort of put them in a pile. Yeah. Um, but now, according to this story, and it's just one little bit of journalism, so Bomi's take this with a pinch of salt as well. Um, they're now just thinking, nah, fuck it, it's not worth it anymore. And and according to this story, Huawei's filling the void. And Huawei's right. now getting good at making AI chips itself. And so this is part of, again, yeah, take it with a pinch of salt. But people who aren't watching, well, actually, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have gone to him. Ian just gave me a sceptical wrinkle of the nose. Um, and... I just think I just think it's interesting. So hypothetically, again, before you refute it, if we take it at face value, and China is increasingly looking to become self-reliant on silicon, which would make sense. Yeah, I can see. Them and trying and to do SMIC that. apparently, which is their main fab, is apparently pretty capable at seven nanometers, which is two well generation pretty capable. It's made one that it's put in a chip that it's shown to the world. Based. No, no. I think I think there's a lot more SMI, SMIC seven nanometer, not five or three. Seven. Yeah, but even with seven, if you're using the equipment they've got, there's yeah. no way they've got the equipment that you need to do seven, seven nanometer at really? scale. Are we still right. looking okay, at so EUV you need, and all you need that? EUV equipment to do seven nanometer. Okay, if you don't right. have EUV equipment and you're using DUV equipment, you need to do double patterning, right. which doesn't produce good yields. Fair enough. And that's the concern. And now, is like, EUV get, the um, that Dutch firm? So there's only, I mean, this was actually also in the news related to your story. There's a, there's stories about a clampdown on ASML, which is the Dutch That's firm it. that makes yeah. uh, these lithography machines that are basically used to imprint kind yeah, of um, that you need for these really advanced patterns onto the silicon wafers, yeah. and you need the you need the equipment from ASML to do the very most advanced stuff, which is uh, the latest generation is EUV, slightly older one is DUV. So you can do these really small uh, transistor chips with 
DUV equipment, but it's a bit of a compromise. It's like a workaround that's not ideal. And that's the concern about what SMIC's done is that it's done it. Fair but enough. is it going to be able to produce them at scale and and do it in a way that you don't sort of run up losses and this this well, kind of thing. Well, but so, the losses one's interesting because if, if this is all underwritten by the Chinese well, state... Uh, maybe they can get away with it yeah. then. But they're well, gonna they're definitely your point. They're definitely gonna have a problem going down below that that sort of node, you know, to to three, two, one, whatever it is. I mean, we're getting now to the stage where yeah. nanometers need replacing with something else. Yeah, and measurement. you get this and you get these bizarre um, things of um electron leakage because they yeah. slip between the atoms at that fucking size. Yeah. Um, I mean the, the the other point about them getting chips from Huawei, I just again I just I don't believe it because it seems to me that Huawei can do anything. You know, it's like every time there's a story about something, oh, Huawei can do that. You know, I mean, I know they're, yeah. they're a big company. And for all we know, it's Huawei that leaked this story to the Wall Street Journal. They're a massive company, right? And they spend a huge amount on R&D. It's like 20 billion or whatever a year. It's clearly a lot more than the Nordic companies uh, are spending. But, you know, they're not a chip maker. They're not a, they are, what do they do? What have they historically done? They've made network equipment and they've made smartphones. And they've done some enterprise stuff, and even and smartphones. Then, so you know, you know that, that's a, a relatively recent Nvidia's, thing. Nvidia's networking. Nvidia is a company that's been doing GPUs for a long, long time. Has, yeah, has yeah. built up a huge amount of expertise in that area, and they're saying all of a sudden Huawei can just pluck a GPU out of its arms. <laughs> you know, I just, I just, I'm afraid I just it's don't believe the, it. It's called the Ascend. No, fair enough. I, I, I think you're right to be skeptical. It's called yeah. the Ascend 910B. And an interesting right. thing about that is the Ascend 910. Um, I've linked to that because I, I covered it. Um, uh, God, that's still Where is it? Um, I'll concede they've got a GPU, but there's no fucking way it's as good as NVIDIA's GPUs. So if they're saying that we've got this as a, as a replacement for NVIDIA, I don't believe it because there's a reason well, NVIDIA no, the, what has... What they're saying is, just, just to fine-tune what they're saying, is they're saying that this is better than the shit version of NVIDIA. Right, so it's somewhere between the shit version and the good version of NVIDIA. Is that's what, they're, that's right. what this story okay. is, is alleging. Mean, mm. um, but yes, I mean, you're, you're totally entitled to still be sceptical about that. By the way, the predecessor, this is called the, the Ascend 910B. The Ascend 910 was launched at an event I think you and I might have both been at in 2019. Might be that thing we went on, like, Park Lane. Mm. There was a Huawei thing there. And 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 Sangeeza, um Eric Eric Shu was up there sh- doing the thing and showing the chip and going and and it says ascend nine ten rotating right yeah he's there rotating um, on the on he's the, rotated out at the moment on the, somebody else on the times he was facing the audience he um he said he said the ascend nine ten meet the world's most pofow- powerful AI processor which was fairly right. fucking spurious claim at the time yeah so now we're on to the nine ten B which doesn't feel like much of progress in four years but there we go so that's the claim anyway but the flip side the only thing i want to um finish off on that and if you've got any last thoughts feel free you know if we take it all at face value um, and there are many reasons not to but if we take it all at face value that huawei um and if we treat huawei as a proxy of the chinese state which it always insists it's not sorry huawei but if we do hypothetically um then then this story is someone saying the Chinese state is getting better and better at being self-reliant in chips at such that if you, you know, we're not going to buy any old crap you send us. We've got some stuff that's like not quite as good, yeah. but it's not terrible. And and the flip, you know, and the point of it for me, if it's true, is it's just how self-harming this US stuff can still be. Like I said, I still question the moral um, uh, pretext 
of them just throwing their weight around and going, no, you can't have stuff because then you might get good at it. Um, we want to be the only people who are good at it. Yeah. But also, well, I think there's they, just the self-harm. There's the harm to NVIDIA itself. And then there's the, the extra um, drive and motivation it's giving to China to get better at all the stuff that it's starving it of. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the geopolitical point, the, the people on the other side would say, we don't want to give stuff to China that they could use to make advanced weapons that they then use to attack us. Yeah. That's probably what they'd, they'd say. Well, it's all right for America to have those advanced weapons. Well, yeah, because they're not going to attack themselves. No, but they might advise, attack someone else. I'm talking about the pure. Well, I know, model. but I'm, strategically you're right, but yeah. morally I still. Stand but it's by like my two point. kids in the in the playground, you know, squaring up to each other, and one wants to be bigger than the other one, and mm. he wants to make sure that the other one doesn't have access to the food yeah. and the weight equipment that he he has. Of course, it's like yeah, it's basic power it's just play. Basic power play. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the Huawei thing is, um, the, the the trouble I have with Huawei really these days is, you know, that period they went through a few years ago when everybody was talking about restrictions and the government in the UK where we are was weighing what to do. And um, they they kind of went through a phase when they became quite transparent, I felt then, in their dealings with the press and with analysts. And you often found yourself on calls with executives and with them trying to explain what they were doing and, you know, talking about their stance. And they've sort of gone... I mean, maybe you could say you can't blame them because of what's happened to them in the West, but they've become the company they were back in the, almost back in the sort of noughties, you know, like very, very closed, very hard to get any information out of at all. It's very rare to ever be offered a meeting with an executive these days. You usually just find yourself dealing with yeah. the PR guys. They're still good no at, criticism of the PR still good at guys, taking us to the cocktail way. bars. They're still good at doing that. But if you actually try and get something substantive out of yeah. them. Oh, yeah, I and, agree. And this is why we can't believe, and the problem with that is, you can't believe anything they say because a, a Nokia, you could get on the, I mean, I was on a call with the CEO of Nokia not that long ago where they're facing up to some of the problems yeah. they've got. They have to do that as a scrutinized Western company under regulations. They have to sort of say, yeah, this is an area we struggled in the part we're doing. This is, this is the reason for the ATM team. They have to give their rationale for it. Huawei can just say anything it wants and you never get access to detailed audited accounts where you can actually see what's going on. Then they're not sort of, so they don't help their case that they're yeah. that they're somehow a little bit like a Western company, and they're not actually. I completely under agree the with that. I, I think Chinese that's always been government. the case. I mean, I I yeah, think I've but, always, as a as a Western journalist, I think I've been one of the ones who's given Huawei the benefit of doubt more and criticised the lack of smoking gun evidence against them for a lot of the allegations made against them. But on the flip side, I completely agree. They don't they don't make the job of those of us like me who are trying to be completely balanced and yeah. not tribal and parochial. Uh, they don't make our job any easier by not giving us any fucking ammo to work with. Yeah. So, you know, so we don't know. I mean, one one thing I'm keen to know about them at the moment is that, you know, we're, talk we're just talking about virtual RAN and all this stuff. And there's always been this thing about where do they stand when it comes to open RAN? The big argument why they shouldn't be necessarily interested in open RAN is it was very much pitched as a alternative to Huawei. But, Quite. But apparently some of the Chinese operators like the idea of it. They like some of the other stuff that you get. If you're talking about virtual RAN as well, some of the other capabilities that you get from doing that, you know, mm. this sort of putting things on general purpose equipment and being able to share resources. But you, you go to them and say, what's your stance on this? And you, you don't really get anything from them. Yeah. You, you, you don't get any information at all. No, so, I, don't know how much you know, it, I don't know how much of it's cultural. You know, I, I, I don't want to overgeneralize about culture from a country that's in the other side of the world. But, you know, that East Asia does seem to be more closed. Yeah. You know, they don't seem to, they don't seem to understand how journalists like us work, where we'll just say what the fuck we want. Yeah. I think they probably have a more transactional relationship with their journalists over there. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's hard, but 
I still think, you know, back to the core story here, if, if, if that Wall Street Journal story is at least half true, then I just, I come back to my central point about US foreign policy, which is leaving aside the morality, leaving aside the understandable strategic reason, is it actually self-harming? Is it actually producing a strategic win? Or are they just, or are they just hobbling um, national champions like NVIDIA um, while at the same time, China's already pretty fucking good at a, some bits of AI. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're just encouraging them to become even more self-reliant anyway. Yeah, it's so like just, a short-term game really, isn't yeah, it? it yeah, just, so, I, I, I agree with that. And I think yeah. that's a concern because the, the thing that they have that the West perhaps doesn't have is this enormous domestic market to serve. And, yeah. um, you know, at one point, what is it? 1.3, 1.4 billion people. You know, for a start, you're going to produce a few geniuses in a country that big. You're going well, to have the capability of doing well, stuff. And, they're, and they're, they're student. I mean, they have so many more students. Yeah. You know, you, you're going to have a few Einsteins in the population just because it's so big as a percentage of the world's population. And you've also got this. I mean, this is one of the reasons Huawei's continued to do quite well. I think it came out with its New Year's statement quite recently. Yeah. It's um, doing all right. We, yeah, yeah. We, we kind of, I, I wrote about it actually between, it was before New Year. I remember it coming out sort of. Yeah, so Andrew wrote about it while I was on the January 2nd. Proof that he was working while I was still slacking off. Huawei says it's, quote, back on track. So it's 7% up, I think, in sales, I think, was something like that, the headline Mm. figure. Probably largely driven by uh, devices, the the speculation was, and some of the hints in the statement. But, what you know, people are always like, even when they were at their lowest after all these initial sanctions have been introduced, people were always like, how are they still doing quite well? You know, when yeah. we've clobbered them so much. So they've got a big market at home that quite. they can serve. You know? and, and, so. and they've got something like, they've got the something like two thirds of all the like... Base stations or yeah. something in the world. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But in China, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. So they've got a ridiculous amount there. But, you know, I mean, Chinese operators are among the most advanced. So yeah. they, they don't just buy any old crap. Yeah. Even if it's Xi Jinping saying, you better buy it or else. I don't think he can, you know, it's still got to be there on merit. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so that's that. We uh, Another one that we were just alluding to, um, another story you covered... Um, which stems, we were just talking about this at length um, with Pierre before we started recording. There's, there's a big drama in the UK around our post office, which is the sort of semi-nationalised, formerly totally nationalised. I don't know to what extent it it's still, still is. government owned. Still government yeah. owned. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of postal service, like the, I don't know, um, UPS or whatever. Um, and uh, uh, basically, um, about 20 years ago, they procured a bunch of software for for their back office, for their systems, from Fujitsu. And cut a long story short, and I'll, I'll again defer to you, Ian, um, on the, my new show of this, because you've covered it and you've watched the dramatization, which prompted all this, which I haven't. But cut a long story short, this um, software um, started flagging up missing money. And they, and they ended up prosecuting loads of their own post office employees for nicking it. Without stopping to think, how hold on, how come seven hundred people suddenly started went on the on the nick at the same time? Um, and it turns out it was they'd never nicked anything, and so it's a massive miscarriage of justice, and 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 it has massive sort of IT um, implications. So you you wrote a story you published today called the UK Post Office Scandal Hold Lessons for Telecom. So yeah. what was that all about? Well, yeah, I mean the the story itself, which you you know summed up re- really well, but I. 
this, the dramatization, by the way, makes you really angry. So I think this is it's why such an injustice. This is why such a long time after all this happened, and it started. You know, I think the series itself starts in two thousand and three, uh, and focuses on the first few people who were sort of caught up in this 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 horror show, really. Um, and it's all quite sinister. I mean, they were phoning up the helpline. It's called Horizon, the system, the software yep. system. They were phoning up the helpline like it's flagging up losses. And being and told you're why. the only person who's got problems with it. Nobody else has. Oh God, so just the lies that was, were endemic. The lies were endemic. And this is the thing that makes you think that the staff within the post office, and Paula Venels, by the way, is the was the CEO for a long period between 2012 and 2019. So actually, after a lot of the initial reporting and allegations and prosecutions had gone ahead, but carried on pursuing them right up till the time when she sort of left. And it's... it's and actually, it's, just quickly, but in that reporting was done by a title called Computer Weekly, which is part of this tech target yeah, that I um, it is. just alluded to at the start of the pod. Yeah. So, like, fair play. That is, like, proper reporting. There, yeah, so it? so she's actually in the series, right. uh, or a depiction of her. Because it was just one player. young reporter. It was one young it? reporter called Rebecca Thompson. Uh, I think she's a freelancer now. Right. But she worked for Computer Weekly. She so can snap her up. Uh, yeah, well, the, the editor at the time, apparently, she's probably she, was, expensive she, was, now. she was 26, <laughs> so I think, like, first job almost. Right. And, and uh, Alan Bates, who's the, one of the postmasters who was affected, but he's a very prominent figure. He was played by Toby Jones, like, he's quite the, a well He's the actor. prominent figure in this dramatisation. Yeah, and he's, uh, he basically led the campaign to get justice for postmasters. So he got them all together. They used to have little meetings in a village hall. and like I think AA it was thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was... The nice thing about the series is you. it's that kind of, we're not alone. You know, even yes. if... Because they must have felt so isolated. They must have felt so isolated. When you realise there's other people in the same situation who've, some of them yeah. have gone to jail, you know, they'd lost well, their homes. incredible thing. I mean, just a slight, quick tangent. I was reading a story about a bloke who just got out of prison because he'd been found innocent 50 years after I know, he was put I away. Yeah. I mean, that feeling of being punished for something you know for a fact you didn't do must really wreck your it head. It must be horrible. Yeah, it must yeah. be horrible. And, and um, you know, at, at the time they were you know, they they had Shawshank Redemption. It is, yeah. it is. But the some of the postmasters were sort of encouraged to plea, even by their own sort of legal advisors, to plea guilty because they'd, you yeah, know, they take a plea, take the, yeah, play, take a deal basically, yeah, yeah. and it'll be better off for you. And so they did, even though they knew they'd done nothing wrong. I mean, it's it's really scary. And but the, I mean, the the relevance for telecom, I think, is. Um, it is a bit tangential. I mean, it's a quiet Friday. I don't know if I'd have written it if it hadn't been <laughs> a quiet fine. Friday. But I think there's two things. First of all, the company that sold the software, Fujitsu, which is under a huge amount of scrutiny at the moment, has been, you know, it's not just the post office, by the way. They've been um, very, very much in with the UK and public sector contracts for a long time. I think this Horizon system underpins a lot of other things, or was supposed to underpin a lot of right. other things. There's so there's a, so a big public sector procurement big public scandal. Sector procurement. And the interesting thing for me is the reputational damage on on Fujitsu because this I think a lot of people in the UK haven't paid much attention to this it's until the dramatisation and I think even now like Phil and my boss and some others will probably read that headline and go what what's going on yeah but it is becoming known outside the UK now it's been the top story in the well BBC my mate on on, a, on on like a chat group was just lamenting how it's just dominated the headlines the whole week yeah. in the UK so I looked at the channel of the Japanese press today it's now you know Fujitsu under scrutiny in the UK over what's happened I think so it's uh, made it over there. Paul Rainford had a look at the share price has gone down as a, as a consequence of this sort of drama it's quite stunning, really. But for a company that plays a big role or wants to play a big role in telco, 
as well as doing sort of IT software. Fujitsu, you remember, is one of these three companies from Asia that gets very much associated with the whole, well, three or four, with the whole open round thing. Yeah. So, and and the big, big deal that they were involved in recently, which we both wrote about a fair bit, I think, was the AT&T and Ericsson deal yep. in the US, where they're the only other company, I think, that was named on the sort of RAN side. Right, yeah. That was that's going to be providing going, equipment. Now, that's, that's hardware in that case, but they do have their software that they want to sell in this market as, as well. I can't see this being a particularly good thing for them, you know, reputationally, when they're trying to push into into some of these other markets. And it could hurt them financially as well. I mean, there's talk of them being forced to be involved in the kind of compensation schemes. They could potentially lose government contracts they've got. You know, uh, anybody yeah. else outside the UK reading about this in a public sector role is not going to be well, thinking I mean, the, very positively about them. The presumably. compensation potentially due for someone who's not just been sacked for something they didn't do, but been put away. Some people top themselves, I think. Yeah. Um, Four people. It shows one of the guys in the drama series, like jumping I mean, in front of the a bus. it's fucking big basically. deal. Um, you know, and, and then the mental health damage to yeah. those who who managed to hold it together enough not to commit suicide. I mean, there was another thing, a, a complete tangent, but something that, that interested me. Um, uh, because I listened to a podcast that is run by by Toby Young, who runs a thing called the Free Speech Union. And they, they, they often represent people who have been sacked for free speech-related things. And this one guy, um, I won't go into minutiae because it's a bit sort of delicate subject, but this one guy was in some kind of racial awareness training and he said something that was considered out of order. Um, innocently, but he's in, but he's in that very delicate sort of social, um, ethical, corporate minefield of race. Yeah, and so he said the wrong thing. You can imagine what it might have been. Yeah, um, but but to but to ask a question rather than just be an obnoxious racist prick, and then he got sacked by Lloyd's, and um, and Free Speech Union got lawyers to represent him, and he's getting paid off to a tune of about eight hundred k. Right. So that's one geezer who got sacked from Lloyd's just for some trumped-up charge. Well, I mean, if Fujitsu has got to pay up these people off to about a mil ahead, that's that's some I mean, serious money. Well, a lot of them haven't received compensation yet. Yeah, yeah. Fujitsu doesn't come well out of the ITV drama. I mean, there's allegations that it's you know sort of complicit in a cover-up by the post office. Really, that you know, I mean, there's a scene in the drama actually where one of the post postmasters, as they're called, who was a union representative, actually went to visit. Fujitsu's offices and was told by staff there that they can get into the system even when postmasters are in it and make changes, which apparently the message from the post office is nobody no, can get in. The only person that this can do really it undermined you. the case, the post office. Right. But when when he when he sort of um told the investigators about this and they went back to Fujitsu, Fujitsu denied that meeting had ever happened, that he'd ever been so on there's their just premises lots at of all. Lying. So there's a lot the the other thing, I mean, the point, the sort of slightly sort of bigger picture sort of point of the story was. I just think it's stunning that, you know, in a world where we're kind of adopting technology and software more and more. Yeah. You remember, I think I started off with this analogy, actually. There's this TV series that called no. yeah. Little Britain, where they had this scene, this sketch, Compute Says No sketch, and it's this woman sort of typing away on a keyboard, dealing with various people in different situations. And basically, because the computer says no, I yeah, can't exactly. So now. someone goes, can I yeah. do this? And they yeah. just go tap, 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 it, yeah. computer says like, no. You're, you're wrong because the computer says so, yeah. and I'm right. There's and I no think qualitative assessment. This, is, this was like really kind of came across in the ITV drama, that this was like almost like computer says no on a big scale. Mm. It's like you can't possibly be in the right because the Fujitsu software must be robust. Well, so this is the really sinister stuff. And, and I know this is a tangent and little do with telecoms, but fuck it. It's my podcast. Let's talk about what I want. Yeah. Um, our podcast, sorry. Um, 
is the possibility that they that they that they actually knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. And so decided to stitch these people up to cover their ass. Now, if that turns out to be provable, um, you know, the the liability implications are almost limitless. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing that worries me more almost than the post office thing is is the the wider societal response to it. So apparently a lot of these postmasters were really kind of vilified in their yeah, communities. Yeah. Well, after people being are very happy figures. to just take things at face yeah, value. It was almost like they bought the same thing. You know, people have a really weird approach to technology. You know, if a, if a self-driving car hits someone, even though there's thousands of accidents a, a year with people actually driving and being responsible, they'll immediately condemn technology and they'll worry about job losses, but they can't, they can't possibly sort of rationalise that a computer would be wrong about something. And, and there seemed to be this view that the computer must be right. Even the criminal justice system seemed to sort of just buy into this argument from the post office that the software is robust. And yet there was no evidence put forward that any real money actually went missing. You know, there was no evidence that these people... Paper had, money. Yeah, yeah as no, there was no evidence at yeah, all. Yeah. So there was just this trust of the software over what seven... I mean, as you mentioned yourself, how ridiculous, yeah? 700 postmasters. I don't know what that is as a percentage of the postmasters right. across the country. But a lot of them suddenly... It's a fairly disproportionate number of embezzlers in who one organisation. Who presumably been fucking yeah. spotless. Because presumably one of the things you get if it's, you work you in a post office... Yeah, yeah. You're it's handling just, loads of wedge and, and all yeah. that stuff. So, but but and, the telecom yeah, side of it, just to... I mean, I just think that any... It's a lesson not just for telecom, it's any organisation, but I think we have to be quite careful. We've been at events recently where executives have been talking up this notion of extreme automation, yes. you know, and that you can replace people in jobs yeah, yeah. and, you know, some of these mundane and very skilled actually, but mundane and humdrum tasks can, can be done by machines and let's take away that layer of staff, you know, and things can't really go wrong. There's a sort of assumption that people are the problem. They make the mistakes and the software is reliable. I yeah, totally get what I you're saying. It's, I think it's, it's awful. Quite, it's so it dystopian. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's it's dystopian. It's anti-human. And then on top of it, it discounts the fact that any machine has to have been made by a human and programmed by a human. Yeah. So to assume flawlessness on the part of a machine, um, it's a, you know, it's not like it's just been beamed down by some celestial being yeah. um, who may well be flawed. Um, so yeah, all of that is bollocks. And 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 then and there's also you know you're talking about, um, you know the, the journalists, with the exception of this this Rebecca from Computer Weekly, and then the exception of these documentary makers at ITV, and I'm sure other people have been I think on Panorama it. Panorama did something. Panorama, right? I think yeah. I think I heard Private Eye been on it a yes, fair they bit, had. but um, yeah. you know who fucking reads Private Eye? That's the problem. Um, yeah. but but on the whole, you know the 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 media collective has failed on this one until this thing came out. Yeah. And it's a, it's an indication of the power of it because now Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, is having to drop everything and just bang on about a post office the whole time. It's so that it's amazing old, how it's that old bombing it Houthis. Those are the only two things he's on his mind at the bombing moment. Bombing Houthis, yeah. yeah. I, there was a thing, um, apparently Russia's condemned us for bombing the Houthis. I was thinking, right. I'll take that from most countries. <laughs> Houthis said there will be retaliation. Yeah, right. there'll be well, they're, they're already retaliating, aren't they? They started they retaliating. Start, That's why we retaliate. Get their retaliation in first. <laughs> Um, but back to back to this thing, you know, there is just this, you know, and I don't blame people. I have this with my mates sometimes because I'm the only one who's a journalist out of my mates, and and I just naturally have not just a more skeptical view, but I it's it's instinctive for me whenever I see something to just do a quick bit of googling, like I do every time I write a story, and just get under the skin of it and see what's verifiable and what isn't, what's what's legit and what's sketchy. 
and most people don't have that and that's no. fine I'm, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal because that's my day job but you know things like you know i listen to a lot of podcasts where things like stuff to do with the pandemic comes up um and you know criticisms of lockdown policy criticisms of you know the biggest one for me is criticisms of these mrna mrna vaccines not that not that i think they were completely ineffective but the fact that we were deeply discouraged from being at all skeptical about these things that are turned around in nine months whereas a normal vaccine takes about 10 years to produce and using a novel um technology such that there's not really a vaccine. A vaccine is normally a denatured uh, uh, version of the pathogen. Isn't there something recently about them permanently altering your DNA? Yeah. Yeah, you well, might have seen it. I put it on maybe, Facebook. Maybe it's from your yeah, thing. There's, well, yeah. there's, a, there's a thing. This is a complete tangent, but fuck it. Um, so we all know about HIV that gives you AIDS. Well, that's called a retrovirus. So viruses all use, their genetic material is RNA, whereas our genetic material is DNA. But as you can probably gather, they're, they're related. In fact, the only thing that's different is deoxy. So DNA is deoxyribonucleic acid, um, RNA is ribonucleic acid. So they're very similar things. And, and in our body, we use DNA to store all our genes, but then we use a thing called messenger RNA to, to get a message from those genes into your cell to say, make this protein. So there's like a simple production line where DNA goes, right, we've got to make this protein. Here's some messenger RNA. It goes to the protein factory called a ribosome. And then that makes the protein. And then that's what they've and that's what they did with these mRNA vaccines. <coughs> they introduced this mRNA into your cells to tell it to make these spike proteins. So it was a way of introducing one part of the pathogen, considered the critical part, called the spike protein, into your body. So it's a novel way of getting your immune system to to be alert to this pathogen. But the problem is you've got things like HIV and they um, they use a, an enzyme called reverse transcriptase where they can actually... So transcription is the... Transcriptase and transcription is the process of making mRNA out of DNA. Um, so making that little copy, that little mobile copy. But you can do reverse transcription where RNA gets made back into DNA and then gets embedded into your genome. And that's what HIV does. That's why AIDS is so fucking hard to get rid of. Right. Because it's it's genetic material hides inside your own DNA. So how can you do, how can you catch that? Yeah. It's perfect. And yeah, and I read this one study, and this is a proper peer-reviewed thing, that says that apparently these this um mRNA vaccine, you know, this this Moder this um Pfizer Moderna stuff can be reverse transcribed and stuck into your DNA. Well that's the one they I didn't have. tell us that. Brilliant. Go in it, nature complicated. It it's is more complicated than a base station. <laughs> yes. So, but anyway, you know, the, the purpose, of, the reason we went off on that tangent is that was another example of stuff that we're, we're basically told to take it at face value. And if you go, hold on a sec, what's going on here? Then people go, no, or oh, you vaccine denier and all these, all these sorts of terms. Yeah. You know, and then loads of people, it could be, so you say you took the mRNA, did you? I took I think the I Pfizer. I took the AstraZeneca. I took both. I think they went back right. the third time. Yeah, they were just chucking you in well, like something was, out of hell It was razor. AstraZeneca for the first two. Yeah. And then there was the booster, wasn't there? And that was uh, a Pfizer so one. So I only did the first yeah. two. I, I never had you a never booster. You never went for a booster. No, so I you, just You've got, escaped got that mutation thing. that'll make me sprout Yeah, and it's probably, you know, it's probably tiny. Heads, but. And these, if, if you can get into your DNA, presumably you can exit your DNA. Well, so that's the worry. That the real purpose of this, if it gets into your DNA, that means it starts expressing itself permanently. So you know, we got things like long COVID. They think one possible um, reason for that is that you've got you've got this spike protein, this pathogen, 
um, being co- being produced over a long period of time, which is why you get long COVID. So normally when you get a bug, you get like flu, you feel like shit for a week, but then it goes away because your immune mm. system's dealt with it. Imagine if flu was able to recombine into your own genome and produce few flu filth the whole time. You'd have flu permanently. So, you know, all of this, you know, people who understand biochemistry and, and virology and, and molecular biology better than I do um, could look into it. Do you it, hear the, the Bill Gates updates in your thoughts? <laughs> Well, so this is his the point. Newsletter. This is the point. You're you're allowed to be like one of these people that people like um Joe Rogan had on that were skeptical. And that that's the reason I come back to it with that post office thing. And, I, and I'll sum it I'll I'll end it there and go on to one final thing before we call it a day. Um is you know that the thing that links all these together is something comes up and and there's I think there's a sort of level of credibility in most people after which they file it as conspiracy theory. And so let's say with the post office thing, something comes up and let's say, you know, you were this Rebecca in 2009 going, hold on, I think 700 people are being prosecuted by the state because the state and their and their contractor want to cover up a massive fuck up. People go, oh, calm down. That's not going to happen. I'm sure there's, I'm sure, um, what's a more plausible explanation is that they all went nicking at the same time. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and this happens with all kinds of other things, especially during the lockdown. All these things just become so big that people just go, "No, it can't be that." Or, or just like climate, you know, you, if you if you dare be skeptical about, you know, like we're getting all these headlines about last year was the hottest year ever. Yeah. You know, and if you're skeptical about how that's measured or or what the implications of it are or what we should do about it, people are like, "Oh, denier this and yeah. conspiracy theorists that and swivel-headed." tinfoil hat wearing you're not allowed to call it global warming anymore because that doesn't suit the narrative right minus 27 degrees in at the moment so anyway so that's the point i and 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 i think you know and a lot of times people are are conspiracy theorists and they are just making up random shit um but i i it's ultimately what my point is that um censorship should be avoided i think all stuff should be out there and it should all be stress tested. Yeah. And there shouldn't be some stuff where there's the acceptable official narrative and everything else is just nut jobs. Anyway, so the final thing I want to chat about, and I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, so the thing I wrote today where the headline was Google steals a march on rivals and regulators by axing data transfer fees. And so Google just announced that it is getting rid of, um, Uh, fees that it charges people to transfer their data if they want to move from its public cloud to one of its competitors, which would typically be um, AWS or Microsoft Azure. Um, and, and and I sort of thought, well, good for them. Fucking about, about time too. Because, you know, a big criticism that we've said loads of times on this pod about the public cloud is they've got an oligopoly of the three of them. If you look at market share, you're the next biggest player is Alibaba, which is probably almost entirely within China, and yeah. that's sub-5% of the global stuff. IBM's been in decline. They're like about 3% globally. What Can I ask, because you're looking at that synergy data, I guess, yeah. but what's the trend lines for the big three? So trend lines for big three is AWS flat, right. holding its own at about 33%. Microsoft's steady rise from... So the start of this yeah. chart is Q4 2018 to Q3 2023, so it's, let's say, five years. Uh, Microsoft's gone from 15% at the start to about 23% wow. now. So they're the big gainers. Google's done all right. They've gone from about 7% to about 12% now. 
Okay. Globally. But they've been taking share not from Amazon then, clearly. They've been taking share from IBM's been a big loser. IBM was level with Google at the start and now it's down which, at about 3%. Which is interesting because it kind of nips in the bud that argument that some people come up with that there's actually is more competition than we think in the public yeah. cloud. Well, it's, fucking it's clearly becoming a, a bigger deal for the big three. Well, so the only thing uh, I'll say, so the big three are very dominant as individual players. Like I said, the only other person that's on this chart that's named is Alibaba and they're at 4% and that'll be almost entirely Chinese. Yeah. But then there's others. So the aggregate a of the long tail. Yeah, the, the, the aggregate of the long tails at about 27%. So there is competition, but it's completely distributed. Yeah. Um, the big three are definitely the big three in terms of single suppliers. Um, well, that'd be people like those, that mishmash will be all sorts of people, you know, the likes of Deutsche Telekom even doing, yeah, whoever. doing, doing yeah. what it says is public Oracle, cloud stuff all in, sorts. in, in yeah. Germany. And, yeah. um, and so they go, and, and, and so the biggest worry, and one we've spoken about loads of times, probably laboured the point with these big public cloud providers is, you know, it's an oligopoly and furthermore, an oligopoly where when you go for one, it's very hard to leave them. Yeah. Because not only do you get reliant on their services and there's the convenience and the familiarity and all that sort of thing, but then there's the massive cost of moving from one to the other. They deliberately make it hard to move from one to the other. There's certain proprietary shit in each one. Um which presumably makes it hard as well. Um, but then there's the allegation that, that Google chucks at Microsoft that Microsoft also makes it hard if you're using some of its other software like Office. Yeah. That it makes it, that it kind of attaches strings to that and going, you better use our cloud stuff. I, I stress I'm not making this allegation, Microsoft's lawyers. I'm just uh, regarding well, I think that, what, that did come up in a UK government Yeah, report. yeah. So that yeah. comes up in this story. Yeah. And anyway, so they've come up with this thing where they're axing. So this CMA thing that you're just you're just referring to, I'll quickly touch on that because it's relevant. So the CMA launched a probe. Um, we covered this back in October last year, and the three biggest areas, and it was on the back of Ofcom flagging up some areas of concern. Um, and the big areas of concern they had was egress fees, which is basically what I'm talking about now. These data fees for moving from one thing to another, yeah. which seem, I mean, presumably there's some cost associated, but I bet there's well, I think they, a lot they, of piss-taking yes, going on there. Yeah, they, they, they ramp it up, you know, to make things as difficult for you as Quite. possible. And then there's discounts. So that's to do with a lot of antitrust stuff that's happened in Europe over the years, like Intel versus AMD and that sort of thing, where yeah. they offer, where they make it, where they make it impossible for you to move because of the discounting system. Yeah. And then there's technical barriers to switching. Um, uh, so that's actually just putting technical obstacles there. Those are the three things that often flagged are, up. I think some of them are unintentional, in fairness to yeah, the players. Yeah. You, you might have a system where there's just not an equivalent on the Microsoft But then side. you could still argue, if you're a regulator, that you should go and fucking find one. Yeah. Just go and make it go out of your way to make it easier. Yeah, you could. But yes, your, your but point is they haven't necessarily set it up in a... technology at cost, aren't you, then, in a, in a sense? You kind but, of, but regulators you know, can do that. They can. But yeah. your point is they, they not all these obstacles are necessarily set up by some moustache-twirling supervillain. No. Um, and that's fine. I'll, I'll take that. But And so they, they got rid of it. So superficially, you think, good for Google Cloud. But then I sort of thought, well, as far as I'm concerned, no company ever does anything out of kindness of their heart. But, of course, the blog they do... Um, they have to they have to spin it that way. They have to frame it that way. So this was Amit Zavary, Zavary, who's head of platform at Google Cloud. He blogged and he went, at Google Cloud, we support, we work to support a thriving cloud ecosystem that is open, secure, and operable. That's all they care about. Yeah. Um, starting today, Google Cloud customers who wish to stop using Google Cloud and migrate their data to another cloud provider and or on-premise can take advantage of free network data transfer to migrate their data. So good for you, Google, and, and, and definitely good for them. But... 
you know, what's their ulterior motive? Because there's got to be one. And then he starts talking about um, restrictive and unfair licensing practices. Um, and he says, certain legacy providers, and I think this is obviously referring to Microsoft, certain legacy providers leverage their on-premises software monopolies. I hate that word. I know. Use. Yeah, I know. Um, or take advantage of. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. It, it's, it's very annoying. I mean, I, I don't mind leverage as as like a technical term if for it debt. Is leverage for debt, yeah. Or or using a lever <laughs> to to open something up like a crowbar, yeah. Um, but no, not leverage as a verb. I don't like it, it at all. It often gets used for use. Yeah, yeah. Use just, use or, or in this case think or in this case um, exploit. Yeah, the people think there's something wrong with the word use because it's too simple. Well, they, I mean, there's so much like, rich language they could have use, utilize, exploit, take advantage I don't like of. Utilize either. No, I suppose that's that's basically a wanky way of saying use. Isn't yeah. It? Okay, fair enough. I'll give you that. But I'm just saying that there's lots of different words that you could that you could leverage. <laughs> um, so anyway, certain legacy providers use their on-premises software monopolies to create cloud monopolies. Uh, using restrictive licensing practices that lock in customers and warp competition, he said. And and they've actually, they've got some form on this. They, they've had a moan about Microsoft in the past. And so, so basically what I think Google's done here is I actually think this move, although it's global, I think it's actually primarily, primarily driven by this UK CMA thing because they're looking into this. And at the same time, Google's only got about, I think, a 5 to 10% share in the UK, so they've got an even yeah. shitter share here. So they're very much a challenger. Yeah. So they've got all the incentive to chuck dirt totally. at the big two. And they seem to be focusing almost entirely on Microsoft. Presumably but they've got some dirt on you, AWS. You see this in markets where there's a small player and a big player that's being challenged yeah. by that small player. They're, they're, always, they're, always, they're always more open. They always scrap fees. They always do discounts. Exactly. Three, it's, just like, it's just like a fourth operator. It's, it's yeah, three yeah, yeah, exactly. in the UK, basically. It's their kind totally. of thing. No, it's, it's exactly so, that, that, that playbook. Um, and, and then I, I, sort of, I couldn't resist. Um, I, I had a paragraph where I said, and Google should know a monopolist when it sees one. <laughs> a jury recently concluded Google operates a, an app store monopoly, while a European court this week insisted Google can't wriggle out of a massive fine imposing it for favouring its own shopping price comparison service in Google search. The EU is also considering splitting up Google's advertising operations, and then there are various big tech probes underway, most aggressive in the UK. So Google knows all about monopolies, but that doesn't mean it's wrong, yep. just because it's got a vested interest. And just because it annoyingly chooses to spin it as some act of philanthropy rather than what it was obviously always going to be, which is in, in its business interest to do it. And so, um, and so, yes, yeah, so I, I concluded by saying, um, nonetheless, it seems like a fairly canny move by Google. The publicity around its act of largesse, which I meant sarcastically, will, will definitely put pressure on Microsoft and AWS to follow suit, as well as giving the CMA more ammunition for its probe. Which and the probe is going to be primarily focused on Microsoft and AWS because they dominate. They've got something like eighty percent of the market. Yeah. Um, uh, and I said, and just because you're self-interested doesn't mean you're wrong. So fair enough. But I just think I just thought that was an interesting one to end on. Google's doing the right thing. It's doing it for self-interested reasons. But I really hope that this sort of thing does lead to a lot of scrutiny because it is an oligopoly. And I'm not saying Amazon, AWS, and Microsoft are, are, are playing dirty. But they've got a hell of a lot of power. Yeah. And I've got a feeling, anecdotally from talking to people, we've got that famous one we always quote from um, from Scott Petty at Vodafone saying it's a pain in the ass to, to move, move. Yeah. Uh, cloud providers. Yeah. I think I think it's in everyone's interest for regulators to step in and make moving from one of the few cloud providers we have on offer to another as easy as possible. Yeah, totally.
Um, sorry to interrupt. Um, mm. That's right. We're pretty much it. done anyway. No, no, I forgot to do it at the beginning. I just wanted to give the podium from last year, the whole year. So we oh, right. had obviously local London. Oh, is it like most listened to locations? Cities. cities yeah, yeah, cities. London, then uh, Santa Rosa and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. That's strange. Santa Rosa. Where's that? And that sounds like a Southern California type of thing. Santa Rosa is probably in the... Silicon um, Valley, is it? Yeah, I'm guessing. Or is it somewhere else? I, Let's look up I don't know that as one, of the, as one of the sort of... They call them cities, but they're really just big towns along the side. City of in California. Yeah. No, no it's, it's north of San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's just north. I mean, some of these things, I don't know, Pierre, some of these things could be to be to do with like data centers and that sort of thing. Like it could be that you're getting Santa Rosa is where there's a big data center where all the Northern California traffic gets oh, maybe, aggregated yeah. or something like that. Another interesting stat is that... Near the Napa Valley, that is. I'd like to go there. <laughs> yeah. Oh. See our fans. I've been there. Sonoma as well. Yeah, yeah, Sonoma. Yeah, yeah. It's around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Youndville. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not cheap, though. No, the, uh, An interesting stat from last year is about 22% of our entire listens came from last year alone. So we're just... Oh, wow. Very good. So you're saying of all our listeners last year, 22% of them were new? 22% of our whole all-time listens came oh, from I last see. year. Oh, I see. Oh, right. Okay. Were last year. Of our aggregate. Yeah. If okay. you look at the number from last oh, year compared yeah. to the total number... And do we have a, a rough sense of what our total number for 23 was versus 22? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's up? Yeah, massively. By a decent chunk. By, actually, I can tell you now. Uh, yeah, about 25%. Wow, 25%. Actually, and, wait, wait, no, no, 20%. Do you have any 20%. stats on individual pods? Uh, uh, yeah, so Dennis O'Brien's right. No, right. actually, Dennis O'Brien is the second one. Ah. The first one was Vodafone, BT, and European... Uh, M &A, and AI. That was just the two of us. Was it? No, it was with Andrew. Andrew is and the Andrew. lucky. Ah, Andrew. Andrew yeah, go on, Andrew. Then. Maybe it's Andrew's family just like <laughs> playing it, you know. <laughs> he says, he's not Catholic. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, I think I think we're I think we're done, aren't we? Um, we've done about two hours. So hurrah. We're not going to have a guest next week either, but then we're going to have uh, a lot of guests from there after. And I'm, and I'm hoping um, that we'll get Dean on for the pre-Mobile World Congress one. We still he, got a chat about whether go. we're going to do that one at that half term as well. Okay, well, so, so, he can, so he can poo-poo it. Exactly. Yeah. I just think he's a good person to have yeah. on. Um, <laughs> like he did last. Well, time. I mean, I mean, first and foremost, because he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But um, but yeah, he, I, I, I'd rather have someone on than you know, I don't know, Max Granrid or something. You'd <laughs> just be going. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, so, <laughs> or however he talks. I don't even know how he talks. What generic Nordic accent. <laughs> Um, so uh, yes so that's that so I'll leave it there we, we, we're going to go to the pub and drink non-alcoholic lager aren't we it's going to be weird it's going to be odd yeah. but thanks a lot for listening and make sure you join us for the next one